0: Welcome to the Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC on ESPN 40, also known as UFC Vegas 59, also known as the de facto finale of the 30th season of The Ultimate Fighter. It is UFC Fight Night Santos versus Hill. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com. With me, as always, is Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the Sherdog Radio Network. Keith, how are you doing this evening? Uh, I'm doing good, brother. How you doing, man? I'm doing really well. Uh, before we even dive into this card, we're just, uh, breath, you know, a day removed from the end of UFC 277. I got to give a little love to uh longtime listener and now one-time host, Luke Wilson, who stepped up and co-hosted the recap with you, and I thought did a fantastic job. So thank you for doing that, Luke, and hope you had a good time.
1: Yeah, that was his um, Juliana Pena um, versus Amanda Nunes one performance. Like he did really good that one time, but the GOAT is back. Ben is back. He's beating up Luke next time.
0: That is Keith's take, not mine, by the way, Luke. Uh, He's great. I really
1: really like chat. We chatted a long time afterwards and stuff. Uh, He's a really good dude.
0: Uh, He he certainly seems it, I, you know, if there's another chance in the future, maybe I will get to co-host one with him as well, but that's enough of UFC 277, because you guys already did a great job kind of putting a bow on that one. Let's talk about the upcoming card this weekend. And last weekend, we started off what I hope will become a new tradition for us, where in addition to giving every card a letter grade as the last thing we do on the recap, we give it a letter grade based on expectations as the first thing we do on the preview. I'm looking at this card, 12 fights. It's headlined by a light heavyweight, eh, you know, contenders matchup, at least a top 10 matchup between Tiago Santos and Jamal Hill. It has the women's flyweights and the men's heavyweight finale fights for Tough 30 Give this card a letter grade on paper.
1: I'll go a C. Again, this is graded on a curve. It's a it's a fight night card. It's a season finale of, of the Ultimate Fighter. Uh the main event is intriguing. I'm I'm wondering how he'll take it another step up in competition, see if he can pass that test. Um, seeing if this Santos has anything left. And a really kind of wide open everyone's jockey position in the division, so that's that's intriguing, uh, especially for the winner. Uh, the co-main event is strong. It's a you know they didn't they didn't go with the, the, the tournament, the Ultimate Fighter as is, is the co-main event. They went with a strong um, two action fighters in Jeff Neal and, and Vicente Facente So that that kind of both both it up. But overall, like the rest of the prelims is a little weaker. There's A couple of guys, you know, excited about Terence McKinney's a guy that a lot of people like. Was it last season or two seasons ago? Brian Battle won the Ultimate Fighter. He's a pretty
0: yeah. Just the very last season, okay, Yeah, the last uh, one. Yeah.
1: So there's there's a couple, couple guys on the
0: prelims that are interesting to watch. Um, I I think I mean I'm going a little more to the negative of you here. I'm going to give this one a D in advance. This to me is kind of a two fight card. Luke versus Neil is a fantastic welterweight matchup between two guys who, as you mentioned, are both among the top action fighters in the division. And also at the same time, they both have had some inconsistent performances over the last year or so, but they're both still top 10 guys. So it is divisionally relevant. And then obviously, you know, it's, it's a good man event, but South of that, we'll get to them when we get to them. But these are two of the of the worst tough finals in the history of the show, in terms of just kind of the level of the fighters going into them.
1: Um I, I might disagree a little bit. There <laughs> I think the the heavyweights there's there's nothing there. The the winner of that match is gonna be a lower level heavyweight. Uh, the, the entire season the heavy age was not strong I actually think the females would be alright I, I think uh, the two females they made to the finals are, are okay Like I don't think either one's going to be a champion or anything like that uh, but I could see them cracking the winner cracking like the top 50 in one day in the division um, so I,
0: I'm a little higher on the females than you are I mean if the winner of that wants to move up to and she's in the top 15 already
1: <laughs> yeah, she, they, <laughs> move, they, they move up to Featherweight they're fighting
0: <laughs> for the title yeah yeah <laughs> uh, <clears throat> And some kind of dicey matchmaking. There is a minus 1,000 favorite on this card that is not a title fight or a late-notice replacement. Probably the only time you'll see that in the UFC this entire calendar year. Wow,
1: I don't know which one it is. I, now I'm, I'm intrigued by cool. that. Uh, actually, awesome. me, <clears throat> how about this? Can I guess? Please do. Um, it could be Terrence McKinney, but... I, no, I'm going to go with... Uh, or Sacek
0: versus Sam Alvey. You were right on the first one. It is Terrence McKinney. McKinney he okay. is, right. I mean, you can get him at like minus 900 at some places, but on the majority of sites, he's minus 1,000 right now. And that's coming off a first-round knockout loss. That's, I mean, that's saying something about <laughs> yeah, that's the true. Yeah, public yeah, that's confidence true. in Eric Gonzalez. Uh, Sam Alvey, another record setter, though. Our first recap together was UFC 250 all the way back in June of 2020. So we've been doing this for a little over two years now. Okay. Sam Alvey is already the first ever three-time member of the Shillin and Duffy cut list. So, <laughs> let's keep a track of that. Uh, I am. I'm keeping okay. track of it. Okay. <laughs> he's fought four times since then. The first one was the draw against Jung. We both gave him a pass that time. He's been on the cut list the last – his last three losses. If he loses to Oleg Shayshuk, he's just breaking his own records. Like, his, <laughs> his only competition yeah. is himself – history and legacy yeah at this rate he could be on the cut list 10 times because clearly uh sean shelby and mcmahon yeah. do not pay any attention to who we think should be cut uh yeah <laughs> yeah sam,
1: sam alvey he might be the first person to make the cut list
0: if even if he wins like <laughs> yeah that's entirely possible he's definitely a two-division cut list king We've, you know, we've, we've had them on the cut list off of 185 and 205 pound fights. Yep. Let me ask you this.
1: Do you think it's really weird that they're doing the finale after the coaches just fought? Usually it's before.
0: It is usually before. Uh, It is a little weird.
1: Why not have the England card? The one that we had two weeks ago. Why not have it this weekend and have this one two weekends
0: ago? That would have made perfect sense to me because this does feel a little weird. It makes these fights seem even more of kind of an afterthought.
1: Yeah. When you have Julia Pena giving out an award to the heavyweights and her face is going to be all still bruised up. It just doesn't have the same like, oh, thanks, former champion, by giving me this little trophy, this little plaque.
0: Yeah, that's now that you mentioned that it's basically a guarantee because they're both team Pena. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, I just, uh, wow. just,
1: I didn't, I didn't get the, that, that's the, the, only thing about that. The other thing I was surprised, I was surprised it was only the finalists on the finale. Like there was times, remember back in the day, back in the day it used to be like the entire, it was, it was the entire ultimate fighter. And yeah. then there were like three or four fights that weren't.
0: Yeah. Everyone, like basically everyone from the cast that was fit to fight was on those things in the first 10 seasons or so. And then they'd have, you know, a, an actual top contender fight, you know, at the top but yeah, but there's not, a,
1: there's not another intriguing heavyweight.
0: Uh, like the best, and the next intriguing heavyweight. is a little bit of a stretch even regarding these guys. And you know what? If we don't stop right now, yeah, I'm just right. going to start breaking down the worst fight on the card off the top. Why would I want to do that? Let's instead dive into the uh, dive into these 12 fights in the actual order they appear. How All about right. that? All right. First up at UFC Vegas 59 is a women's Bantamweight matchup between Mayra Bueno Silva and Stephanie Egger. Silva, the 30-year-old Brazilian, is 8-2-1 overall. She's 3-2-1 since joining the UFC, and here is a free bit of trivia for you to make all the women want you and all the men want to be with you or vice versa, whatever your preference. Okay. Mayura Bueno Selva is the very first fighter ever signed out of Dana White's Contender Series Brazil. So that's your trivia for the day. <laughs> and since joining the UFC out of that very first episode, she is 3-2-1. She won her last time out. That was a unanimous decision win over uh, Wu Yan'an back in April at UFC on ESPN, Luke versus Muhammad 2. This represents Silva's move back up to Bantamweight. She uh, fought at flyweight almost exclusively in her UFC run up to now. She is moving back up to Bantamweight. There to meet her will be Egger. The 33-year-old Swiss uh, grappler is 7-2 and two overall. She's 2-1 and one in the UFC. She is on a two-fight win streak. Uh, those coming over, Shanna Young and Jesse Clark. The most recent of those, the Clark fight, was a first-round armbar submission back in February at UFC Fight Night: Walker versus Hill. Those have gotten her back on track since losing her UFC debut to Tracy Cortez all the way back in October of 2020. The odds on this one are fairly close, but Silva is the slight favorite as of the beginning of fight week. She's minus 125 or so. Egger available at even money or even plus 105 in some places. Uh, Keith, I'll jump out first on this one. I was surprised at the line here. Unlike you, I do look at the lines uh, just in the course of things as I'm kind of doing prep, but I was surprised because Silva is the one that's coming back up to 135. Edgar's on the two fight winning streak against I mean, Shannon Young is nothing to write home about, but she ran over Jesse Clark on the ground in very impressive fashion. I, I was surprised. It I had well, that hasn't aged well. That's true. Like maybe she's the one that broke Clark. I don't know, but uh, I was. I figured the line would probably be kind of like it is, but that Edgar would be the very slight favorite. And I say this as one who un- had underestimated Edgar. I kind of wrote her off when she came in out of some, you know, European circuits, one appearance in Invicta and knowing that she was coming in as a decorated judoka, like a former member of the Swiss national judo team, someone who had actually fought at Abu Dhabi. Like she never meddled. She yeah, never yeah. placed. But her one fight it was against Gabby Garcia. Like, <laughs> what, what's she going to do? Uh to, to see her come in and lose to Tracy Cortez in her debut and not just lose, but lose because she got out grappled really badly by Tracy yeah. Cortez for three full rounds. I said, okay, this is a bust. She's not going to do anything. Yeah. And next thing I know, I kind of look up again, she's on a two fight win streak. And again, granted, neither of the two fighters she's beaten are Tracy Cortez, but they're both at least borderline UFC quality, uh, bantamweights and she's, she's run right through them. I'm kind of surprised because Silva's the one c- coming back up in weight, way- and granted, Silva was a big flyweight. She's not going to be a small bantamweight, no. but Edgar should be able to do what she wants to do here, which is going to be to uh, either try to get her hands on her in space and work the judo thing, or she's proven herself very adept at using uh, her kind of judo background and her size her the, the height of her frame her physical strength to you know nullify and get takedowns against the cage I kind of expect her to do that uh, to Silva who is well-rounded pretty good everywhere but in the one spot where Edgar is better I think she's just going to be able to press that advantage Edgar has gotten finishes in her last two fights and they've both been pretty definitive finishes the last one was a performance bo- uh, bonus winning submission I'm going to say Silva makes it to the final porn but I think Edgar kind of bullies her and ragdolls her uh, Edgar by one-sided decision
1: yeah um yeah Silva she's she's pretty exciting I'll give her that so one of my themes I'll say about this card as I was as I was kind of putting my notes together is this is the minus athlete card I think we have oh uh, you know that's one of my cliche things I like to say minus athlete uh, we have 24 fighters on this card I think I said about like 17 or 18 of them that's in my notes uh she's one of them but she's she's a Muay Thai striker, but she's she's not a great athlete. Uh, she will fight out of both stances, and she likes to march down her foes uh, to close the distance, get in that boxing range. But she doesn't throw a lot of volume. Um, she she kind of looking for the perfect punch and she has, uh, I'd say plus power, but like moving up to the weight class, I definitely don't think she has big, like she lacks a one punch shot. Uh, and that's because she's kind of chasing the knockout, like looking to land that perfect shot instead of just letting her hands flow. Uh, she will throw some spinning attacks. I'll give her that some good tape kicks. She's very physically strong. I'm glad that you mentioned like her going up. Um, she's not going to be smaller. Mm -mm. Um, she does like she gets the palm clinch. She's she's pretty active in there. She's a weak defensive wrestler. Um, I mean, Marina Morose is not known for her being a strong wrestler, took her down a bunch of times. Uh, she will throw up some submissions. Like, there's some things I like about her. Uh, but we re- like, regardless of her moving up to Bantamweight, weight, she's going to be smaller because Egger is a bigger Bantamweight. weight. Like, she looks she's actually one of the ones who actually looks like she could fight at 145. Mm-hmm. Um, she's she's also a minus athlete um she really needs to improve like her footwork she's a little flat footed but she uses pressure well like she presses forward she's pressing the action she's got good output on the feet uh she kind of understands range pretty well she likes to kind of press forward but still kind of keeping her distance kind of throwing jabs and 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 teep kicks uh kind of keeping her opponent at the end of her punches she's not very fast uh, she makes a mistake of avoiding shots, but pulling her head straight back. A lot of, uh, tall man's defense, another theme of this card. I'm going to say that a bunch of times, but as you mentioned, she is a judo black belt. And she, as you mentioned, she went into Abu Dhabi. So she's, she obviously has some skills on the ground. She likes trips. She likes throws. Uh, she hit that beautiful arm bar, which is kind of like, a, a, you know, go to for, uh, judokans, uh, judokas, right. If that's how you say it for a woman, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, she did that against Jessica Rose Clark. Beautiful on bar. Uh, I think I'm not as confident. You seem very confident in, in Edgar. I, I'm not as confident as you are. I think this fight is, is is pretty close. I think they're pretty matched up on the feet. I think they're probably pretty matched up on the ground. Uh, I think they've actually probably faced similar level of competition. Though I don't like that um, Silva has been
0: taken down ten times in our last six fights. Oh, can, can I interject one thing that I meant to mention during my my segment? The thing that stuck in my mind most on Silva's kind of track in the UFC is when she got the draw against Montana De La Rosa, and it's because yeah. she got to, like, to the point because she had to grab the fence for dear life to avoid getting taken down by Montana De La Rosa. Yeah. And and me thinking about Edgar having her in that same situation, I was like, oh, man.
1: Yeah, that's kind of what I was going to say. Like, she's been taken down 10 times, and I guess Belgrade all- throwing in. She should have had 11 in that <laughs> one. <laughs> um, And she's probably facing the most decorated grappler, straight grappling, not MMA, just straight like the grappling world that she's faced so far, or or at least recently. I I don't have everybody memorized off my top of head. So I'll go Edgar. I'm I'm not confident. I'm going to go through a split decision.
0: There you go. Uh, Two picks for Stephanie Edgar to get the slightest of upsets in the opener at UFC Vegas 59. Next up on the UFC on ESPN 40 Undercard is a strawweight matchup between Corey McKenna and Miranda Granger. Two women looking to get back on track and uh, head back up the ladder. McKenna, the 23-year-old English woman by way of Northern California, is 6-2 and two overall. She's 1-1 one one since joining the UFC out of the fourth season of Dana White's Contender Series, McKenna impressed in her UFC debut, taking a unanimous decision over Kay Hansen. then came back at UFC London 1, that would be UFC Fight Night Volkov versus Aspinall back in March, where she dropped a split decision to Elise Reed. She'll be taking on Granger, the 30-year-old Washington State native, is 7-2 overall. She is 1-2 in the UFC, won her own debut against Hannah Goldie, then has lost back-to-back fights against Amanda Lemos and Ashley Yoder. The most recent of those, the Yoder fight, was all the way back in November of 2020, so this is a return from a fairly long layoff for Granger. Uh, as of right now, McKenna, pretty stout favorite. She is minus 225. Uh, thereabouts on most of your books Granger available at plus 175 or plus 180 as the underdog Keith who you got in this one and how
1: yeah um, this is tough Uh, I don't think McKenna should be that big of a favorite but I think this might be more um, saying what they think about Granger than having confidence in McKenna because McKenna looked really good against Kay Hansen, but then like really bad against Elise Reed but that's what you're going to get when you have someone who is 22, 23 years old. I mean, she's she's young. So we talk about the times of like, big jumps and gap. We can also have, like, inconsistency at, at that time. Like, Kenna, she she's a minus athlete, but she's more of a brute. Like, she kind of reminds me of, like, a Raquel Pennington, where she's more, like, physically strong than she is quick. Um, and it, it's funny because when I think about it, she's not someone who's in her power years yet, being that she's so young. Uh, no, don't get me wrong, she kind of has a lack of technique. So that lose that zaps her like KO power. So when I say when she's physically strong, like she's not Chris Cyborg, she's not gonna be starching people with punches. I just mean like when she gets in the close distance, grinding style. Um as far as striking, she switches stance a lot. Uh she likes to kind of stick and move, land, get in and get out, some pretty good leg kicks, throws a throws a lot of high kicks, but Really, her bread and butter is kind of closing distance, wearing down our opponents in the clinch. She will shoot for takedowns, though she doesn't really set them off often, like sometimes she just kind of uh toss it out there without without a setup. Um, but she does well to kind of like drive through her opponent's hips, so I give her that. She likes to like kind of get them back up and go to like a back trip, though. In her last fight, she kind of really abandoned her wrestling, like she didn't wrestle read enough. And I think to me, that showed like a a low fight IQ. She probably lost because of that, because she didn't stick to a, a very heavy wrestling game plan. Uh, but she's a good offense wrestler. Her defense wrestling needs some improvement. Now, Granger, she's been out for a while, so it's kind of uh, hard to know what we're going to get with her. When we last seen of her, she's a long rangy Taekwondo-style striker, a uh, little bladed stance. She lacks power, very tall man's defense chin high in the air i mean she got beat up by ashley yoder and not only does she get beat up like grappling like you know that's what yoda likes to do like she got tagged up on the feet a little bit by ashley yoder uh granger she see, she's big so she uses her like size well to get in the clinch like that's probably like her best position getting clinch land some shots but she's a weak defensive wrestler she was getting thrown around uh by ashley yoder she struggled to get off the bottom i mean at one point she was mounted by ashley yoder and mm-hmm. and, and obviously I'm, I'm always i'm talking about her last fight and it seems like so long ago. Uh, it seems like so long ago. Ashley Yoda got a win in the UFC. Um, and she she almost she uh, shout out to Ashley Yoda. I take a jab at Ashley Yoda for no reason. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine Ashley Yoda watching the show and be like, "What the hell, dude? Like, the I thought you could like say nice things about me. I beat her." Um, but uh, I mean, she almost got submitted like multiple times. by Ashley. Yoda. In fact, she was saved by the bell in the third round. Like the fight ended with Ashiota in a deep ran naked choke where they're like they're changing colors. She looks like she's, she's moving her hand. Like she's about to tap. And then the, the time ran out. So uh, I wouldn't go with a younger fighter here. I really think this is a bad stylist Stylistic matchup of a Granger. I uh, Granger is bigger. She's taller. She's lengthier. McKenna's like, you know, shoulder stockier kind of fighter, but I, uh, I think McKenna is just too physically strong. And I think she's actually could probably be even stronger than we saw in our last fight. I think she gets some takedowns. I think she lands some shots on top. I uh, Give me McKenna to cruise to a decision.
0: There we go. Let the record show that while Keith has taken pot shots at poor Ashley Yoder, uh, I mentioned Hannah Goldie without making any wisecracks. Keith is the one that woke up this morning and chose violence. Uh, <laughs> I agree completely with uh, your, your take on this fight. If, if, even though Granger is coming off two straight losses, there's no shame in getting uh, potatoed by Amanda Lemos. She, I mean, she's turned out to be a top 10, if not top five next potential title contender fighter, but the Ashley Yoder loss was bad. But even so, if that fight were three months ago, I'd feel more comfortable about there being some upset potential from Granger, but Granger is not at the age where you expect someone to put on like new layers of awesomeness in a 20 month layoff, it, you know, it means they probably had some injuries or just had other things going on with, with life. Yeah. it it's, doesn't inspire confidence. And like you seem to see, I see the big clash of styles here as McKenna's offensive wrestling, should she choose to embrace it versus Granger's poor uh, defensive wrestling. I'm gonna assume that McKenna understands what the game plan needs to be here. I'm going to assume that her kind of flat, bad performance against Reed in her last appearance was just nerves due to being a young fighter fighting in front of a UK crowd for the first, I mean, for the first time at the UFC level, obviously she came through cage warriors, but I mean, think of how many really kind of notable British UFC fighters went a lot longer than that before actually getting to fight in front of a, a partisan crowd. You remember how bananas that event was. I'm thinking the weight of that moment was just too much for, her. she's going to be back to kind of the scrappy grindy Corey McKenna that we saw in the Demopolis and Hansen fights. And I think she, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to pick a, a finish here. I think McKenna's going to just wear her out. Just spend a lot of time on top, kind of beating up on her. And let me uh, give me Corey McKenna by TKO ground and pound in the third round. We head now to the welterweight division for a matchup between Jason Witt and Josh Quinlan. Witt, the 35-year-old Glory MMA and fitness export, is 19-8 and overall. He is 2-3 and three in the UFC and has... Alternated wins and losses throughout his UFC run. Uh, he is currently coming off a loss that was a second-round TKO at the hands of Phil Rowe back in February at UFC Fight Night, Hermanson versus Strickland. Prior to that, he uh, took a majority decision over Brian Barbarana in a real fun fight last July. He will be welcoming to the UFC uh, Quinlan. The 29-year-old is 5-0, and As a professional with one no contest, this will be his UFC debut. He won his way onto UFC roster last season at Dana White's Contender Series, absolutely thrashing Logan Urban in in about 45 seconds. That was overturned when he failed his post-fight drug test. For those keeping track at home, this was an actual performance-enhancing drug. I believe it was drostanolone, but an actual steroid. Uh, You know, this wasn't one of your, like, weed no contest of which we have at least one on this card that I can think of.
1: <laughs> and his punishment is a contract in the UFC. Nice job.
0: His punishment is a contract in the UFC and a fairly soft landing in the form of wit, if we're being completely honest. At least that's what the bookmakers seem to think. As Quinlan is minus 225 to get back on track in his UFC debut. Uh wit available at plus 185 if you so choose. Uh <laughs> You mentioned, you mentioned the whole minus athlete thing on this card. I don't know who your picks are, but anyone outside of the top two fights on the card, because I think Santos, Hill, Luke a, and and Neil are all at least yeah. decent athletes, and oh, yeah. a couple he of them great. are plus. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Quinlan is one of the guys outside of those top two fights that strikes me as a plus athlete. He's okay. l- long and rangy for a welterweight. Uh Pretty fast hands and feet. Like I have no idea whether he can dunk a basketball, but uh I give him yeah. more of a chance well, Craig. It you know, just going with our, our gold standard of a guy that okay, at <laughs> that height, as a professional athlete in any sport, you should be able to dunk. I, I uh, think if
1: him and Jason Witt did that, what is it, what it's called with the football foot players jump up and hit those like things.
0: Yeah, just the the high jump. Oh, dude. Yeah, I think he jumps higher than Jason Witt. Oh, absolutely. Oh, he out jumps <laughs> Jason Witt by a full foot. Because I think he's a couple inches taller than Witt. And yeah, Witt. Uh, Witt is just, if there's a prototypical glory, MMA and fitness fighter, he might be it. You can roll him right out there, right out there with James Krause himself, with Julian Marquez, with just the blue collar grindy, uh, fighters that the, it's deceptive because they'll have a, a good number of submissions on the record, but they really just want to brawl. Uh, you know, Jason, Jason Witt, <clears throat> when he decides to embrace his wrestling, uh, you know, decent offensive wrestler, again, for a guy that is not a plus athlete, he's got slow entries, but gets, uh, takedowns through persistence and just physical strength. Uh, he'd certainly put that to use against Barbarana. then against Roe, He, you know, threw that back in, in the junk pile and Roe, you know, <laughs> Roe knocked him out. Uh, if he decides to embrace his wrestling against Quinlan, this becomes a more interesting fight because otherwise he is tailor-made for Josh Quinlan to get a highlight reel finish in his first UFC fight. You saw what Quinlan had to offer in the 40, what was it? 40, 47 seconds of work against Logan urban last year. I know he was on a performance enhancing drug. I'm sure it enhanced his performance, but just the, the speed, the power, uh, he'd hit Urban. He had hit Urban upside the head about three times before uh, before Urban like knew what was happening to him. There are a lot of unknowns here. Obviously, this is almost a full year removed from that fight. Quinlan has served his suspension. We may find out how dependent he was on those testosterone analogs. If he looks like a completely different guy, uh, like I'm about to say about someone further up this card, then. That, that'll be uh, one thing. But I'm guessing that we get about 90 or 95% of that Josh Quinlan. And given that Jason Witt doesn't always fight to his own best advantage, I, I understand kind of why the line is what it is. Give me Josh Quinlan to to find Witt's chin sometime in the first two rounds. Uh, I'll say Quinlan by second round TKO.
1: Yeah. So wh- while you're talking about, side note, guys, sidetracked off this fight for a second you were talking about uh jason Whit beating brian Barberino. like i just imagine brian barbarino like beating robbie lawler like i don't know how how it is in houston but in new england we're ultimate ball busters i just like imagine brian barbarino hanging out with his friends like ah oh, dude everything's going so great for me right now i'm going a three fight winning streak i <laughs> you know i just beat back-to-back fights i beat matt brown and robbie lawler i just knocked out robbie lawler my biggest win of my career and then just having the like a friend be like, "Yeah, but you also lost Jason Witt in the same talent, like same year. <laughs> like, how does that happen? How do you lose a Jason Witt but beat Robbie Lawler in the same year? You know, I'm talking about, obviously, I'm not talking about like, uh,
0: like, yeah.
1: you know, a 12 month span.
0: Yeah, like the rolling year. Uh, yeah, I like what I, the fuck. We don't have quite the same ball busting culture. Like it, it's it's a much more like kind of like lovey dovey culture down here. Oh yeah, no, I think like, that's kind of." that's kind of my reflected friend. in your and my different approaches, you know, yeah. we're you're harsh on the local scene to you, the Southern new England scene yeah, yeah, yeah. in the way that, you know, a man would be to his own kids. Well, I'm literally sitting here in a t-shirt I got from Alex Morono's wife. Like, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, like if, that, if I was friends, with Alex Milano, I'd be like, yeah, you won the fight, but like pride rose, you lose. <laughs> um, Anyways, back to this one. I'm worried about the line, like I, because of Jason Witt's style. Like Jason Witt could easily just wrestle himself to a victory. Like I, I wouldn't bet on it. Like if I was a better, like I would, I'd either go like with the underdog or Witt, or I would just pass altogether. Um, Witt is the he's a grinder. He's he's not obviously he's not a great athlete. He's very flat-footed. He's kind of slow. His chin is high in the air. His hands are not fast but what he does do he pus- he positions himself in a chance to win by constantly pressing the action uh, I like that he goes to the body uh he has this you mentioned Gloria. I mean he has this, this is like country boy Missouri boy strength where yeah he doesn't have the greatest like he's not Josh Kosciak blasting through you but uh everything he does is hard like he has some sting on his shots Um, he throws some hard kicks. I am I am worried about his chin. Like I'll say that he was knocked dead by Samelsberger. He was knocked out by Phil Rowan's last one. He was knocked out uh, by Takashi
0: Sado in under a minute. Like all of his losses in the UFC have been knockouts. Yeah. Yeah.
1: now his striking is simply to, to set up his wrestling. And like you said, he's not a when we think about the best wrestlers in the UFC, we're not thinking Jason Witt. But you're right. Like if he can get to your hips. He's got this country boy strength, but he'll just lift you up. I mean, he—he he, look at like Cole Williams, right? He picks Cole Williams up, walks around the cage, and then slams him. Kind of uh, reminds me a little bit of, like, Matt Hughes, Frank Trigg 2 kind of thing. Uh, good top control. Uh, he likes, he's likes he got an old-school, like, Mark Coleman style where he, he likes to sit in the guy's guard and just kind of land elbows. Uh, and he got a submission in that fight. So, Quinlan, uh, yeah, it's... <sighs> It is concerning when the last time we saw him was on some kind of performance answer. It, it, it's, it's hard to have confidence, especially like a negative, would you say negative 250 or something like that? It's um, two, 225, but yeah. Okay. So he's a one favorite. pretty good yeah. favorite. Uh, he fights out of both stances. He's a pocket boxer. He's got fast hands. He's got good power. Uh, again, a little worried about that power, but he's got good power. He kind of wings his shots, hard, hard calf kicks, a lot of like boxing L-stepping to kind of sidestep away from things. The one times, I mean, he's got a perfect record, but the one time I have seen him in trouble is when he's being pressed. He likes to be the one just marching down his opponent not being pressed back. So that's something that Jason Witt does do well. It's kind of force you on your back foot, but he's stuffed a lot of takedowns. What I've seen of Josh Quinlan, uh, he's not a much of an offense wrestler himself, but he does have two submission wins. So Quinlan is a little bit of wild card. He has good power, but wit it's, like you said, when it goes bad for Witt, it is really bad. But he has this dirt dog style where he can kind of make it a grimy, Darren Elkins-type fight, and he could win. If he continued to keep kind of moving forward and pressing such a he- wrestle-heavy game. And uh, if you can't stuff his takedowns, you are be in trouble. But I'm going to go the opposite. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go with the newcomer. I'm going to say Quinlan catches up. And I'm going to say, you know what? I picked all decisions. I want to go with a stoppage, too. And you said... When things go bad for Witt, he gets knocked out cold and it's early. I'll say it happens again. And I say, I'm i going to say this is the last we see of Witt. I say Quinlan knocks him out in the first round.
0: All right, there you have it. Two emphatic calls for Quinlan to get it done in his UFC debut. And at least one call for there to be only one vanilla gorilla left in the UFC at the end of uh, Saturday's card. No, they can both of them. The They take both of them. Well, <laughs> the just- package. If if Chase Sherman is the last vanilla gorilla left in the I UFC, bet. I quit. I quit everything. Like, what am I even doing here? <laughs> we head now to the welterweight division where tough 29 winner, now undisputed winner, now that he's finished the entire love triangle there, uh, Brian Battle will... Uh, seek to take his skills and his promise down a uh, division. He is headed back down to Welterweight where he fought uh, primarily when he was on uh, regional scenes and welcoming him there will be Sato. Uh, battle 27 year old North Carolina native is 7-1 and one overall he is 2-0 and o since joining the UFC in the de facto Tough 29 finale last August that was UFC on ESPN 30 Barboza versus Chikadze uh, he beat Gilbert Urbina in that fight who stepped up for Treshawn Gore who was injured, Uh, he got his chance to settle things against Gore back in February at UFC fight night Hermanson versus Strickland he took a unanimous decision over Gore, so he is now the undisputed ultimate fighter middleweight from the 29th season he will be taking on Sato the 32 year old uh, Japanese fighter is 15 and 5 overall he is 2 and 3 since joining the UFC as a, a Pancre standout And one time Walter Waite title challenger, but never did actually become king of Pancrase. That's sad that I don't even think they call it king of Pancrase anymore. It was much cooler when it was king than just... Champ. Anyway, he's two and three, but uh, he is on a two fight uh, losing streak since well, since knocking out Jason Witt in 48 seconds. He has dropped back to back fights. The first of those was a second round submission against Miguel Baeza back in November of 2020. Then he came back from a lengthy layoff this past March and dropped a unanimous decision to Gunnar Nelson. That was at again, uh, UFC London one back in March. Odds on this one, Battle, a pretty strong favorite. He is minus two twenty-five. Sato out there around uh, plus one eighty or plus one ninety. Uh, Keith, I'm going to throw this one to you first, but I just want to throw out the idea that I'm I'm intrigued that Battle is moving down to one seventy because while he seemed he seemed undersized at one eighty-five, he hadn't lost yet. And, yeah. one, and 170 is a much, much more competitive yeah. division than 185 right now. Yeah, I don't think it was
1: necessary. Like, I don't think he was that under-sized. And, um, you know, he went against like a Petrowski on the show who's, you know, much bigger. You know, he's a massive guy, big yeah. muscled guy. Um, but there was an advantage. He was quicker. He was
0: faster. like uh, uh, He had better gas tanks than most of them? Y-
1: yeah. I don't know if this was a good move for him. And again, you mentioned it's a better weight class too. So uh didn't didn't make any sense. <laughs> what I find funny though is the UFC is is organizing their card. They want to sell us on the Ultimate Fighter season. Here's the finale. How about you don't put the last champion buried on the prelims? Like, yeah. why do you have like lipspeaky open up the main card? Why not have him open up the main card? Or I don't know, it just makes no sense to me. But what the hell do I know? I mean, like, there you go. Guess what, guys? You win. You get to get buried on the, 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 your next fight. We buried on the prelims, you know. Curtain jerker it, or something. Sure, sure
0: makes, yeah. Like spending six or eight weeks in, in yeah. Vegas, like seem worth it.
1: Yeah, it's it, it definitely shows. That there's more buzz from the Contender series than there is on the Ultimate Fighter show. I think I think me and Aaron Bronsted are the only ones who actually watch the show. <laughs> like.
0: So oh, I, I, I'm guilty. Like I had like to track it? down the fights. No, no, I'm guilty of not watching it. Oh, okay. I had to track down the fights out like outside of actually watching the show because I didn't I, I spend my time on that.
1: Yeah. Mine, mine is like uh like the people who like kept watching like this. Someone's still watching Supernatural and they're like, why am I watching the 40th season of Supernatural? You know, or, or the people who still watch uh, The Walking Dead, like they have to. I get how I feel with the ultimate fighter show. I just like, oh, I put all these signs. Let's do it again.
0: My wife watches both of those shows. And she is one of those people that's like, why am I still watching this? So <laughs> like, I'll have to bring that to her as far. an example.
1: Like you made it yeah. that far. Like, yeah. Um, so uh, I like that. I, I really liked what I've seen of this guy. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a high output striker, which is, again, is a little troublesome moving down. But so I'm, I'm basing this off of what I've last seen of him. Uh, he, I like that. He just touches he just he doesn't really unload until there's a clear opening. A lot of variety in his attacks. Uh, Mixes punches and kicks together in combinations. Well, kicks are such a big part of his game. Great deep kicks. Uh, some defensive flaws, which uh, you know for a newer fighter in the UFC is, is expected. He keeps his chin high in the air, uh, but he rolls. He rolls with a lot of shots. So he kind of like deflect shots. Uh, he prefers being the one moving forward. He doesn't really like being pressured. Uh, he likes to kind of fight from distance. But when he gets nasty and it gets grimy, he's got a little bit of in him. I mean, his clinch striking against Anja Petrowski, he landed some really good shots. He landed a really good knee in close. And that win has really aged well because Petrowski's done well for himself in, in the UFC. Um, very hard to take down. Um, when he ha- He's shown really good balance, but when he has been taken down, works right back up to his feet, um, really knows how to, like, turn it up a notch when his opponent's starting to fade. Um, the, I, I like going, and I keep going back to the Ultimate Fighter show, but like when he went against Petrowski and Petrowski had his back, he stayed very composed, didn't panic. He's a submission threat. He's got four career submissions, one against Petrowski, one against Gilbert Urbina in the finale. So, like, those are two, uh, well, I don't know if Urbina's that creative win, but, like, you know, two submission wins. So battle looks good. Now moving to Sato, southpaw that really he marches down his opponent's Tight. Inside close quarters boxing game, I'd say plus power. He really steps into his shots, uh, throws a a lot of overhand strikes, but sometimes he kind of looks to land that perfect strike and he kind of have some like low output trying to uh, land the perfect shot, has some defense holes, lacks head movements. Um, Like Miguel Baeza, hurt heard him a bunch of times. Uh, He's not much of a ground fighter. Uh, He'll sneak in a takedown. But when he's on top, he's looking more controlled than doing anything. He's a he's a weak defensive wrestler. He had a really hard time on bottom uh, against Baeza. Was quickly submitted by Baeza. So as far as the prediction goes, I Sato. I mean, his back is against the wall. I mean, he desperately needs to win. I just think if if the weight cut for battle is not that bad and he's the same fighter as he's been up at middleweight, I think this is a tough, tough stylistic matchup. Uh, and battle's gonna be the bigger guy he's the much better athlete he throws way more volume battle's gonna have to avoid the power shots from Sato Sato but like that's it I think I think he gets picked apart from range I think he out volumes them I think I think battle dominates an easy victory decision sorry, I, victory
0: I am looking for where I can disagree with you here and I'm not finding much I, I don't know if this is a good overall move for a battle for uh, going from one eighty-five to one seventy. I agree. Just you know, I wish he would have waited until something forced the issue. Like yeah, until I agree. He, he lost. So like, until yeah. he lost. Or like, like Rashad lost. Evans,
1: like when Rashad Evans went down the middle, yes.
0: like yeah, yeah, or Michael Bisming when he lost to like, like, Rashad Evans. Yeah. Exactly. That that was a, that, in fact Bisping was the example I was thinking of where he's like, Yeah, I'm a little undersized compared to these guys, but until I lose a fight and it's for that reason why fix what ain't broke. And yeah. when Rashad out wrestled him badly as, a, as you know, not a big light heavyweight himself, he said, okay, it's time. I wish battle had done that. Cause he's jumping it into, he's jumping into the shark tank here. I favor him to beat Sato as well for the reasons you mentioned, but who is Sato lost to in, in the UFC Bilal Muhammad Bilal Muhammad would yeah, trash Brian battle. Uh, the Baeza fight, that has not aged well. At the time, no. Baeza just ran him over. My thought, you know, and we were already doing recaps by then, was, well, that's Takashi Sato getting run over by a guy that's clearly on his way to the top ten sure. at welterweight, and then Baeza hasn't won a fight since. Yeah. More disturbing than any of that is that at UFC London, again, UFC London won, Gunnar Nelson dusted himself off, got out of whatever, like, <laughs> coffin yeah. he sleeps in, <laughs> yeah two and a half years away and looked that good against Sato for Nelson to get takedowns that easily against Sato for him to kind of touch him up in space, like as well as he did, that's disturbing. It makes me wonder like, is is Sato, is is he shot? Is he on his way down physically? Or was he just never that good? Because when you look back now, he's like, okay, well, his UFC wins are over Ben Saunders, who was clearly in decline and Jason Witt, who we're kind of agreeing might be on his way out of the UFC and was always going to be susceptible to getting caught early with quick stuff. I, I'm with you. Like, whether Sato was just never really the goods or he's just in decline right now, this one is, is tailor-made for battle to look good. If he wants to keep it on the feet, I think he's going to experience success. If he wants to take him down, I am almost certain he's going to experience success. Uh, give me battle to probably stick with a a slightly safer game plan here in his kind of test case at his new weight class. Uh, I expect Battle to probably test his luck on the feet some, but turn to his wrestling early and often, get Sato down, and I think he probably wins a pretty one-sided decision as well.
1: What do you you think Gunnar Nelson is doing right now?
0: Probably... (laughs) Trading jujitsu, something like yeah.
1: <laughs> I think he's like, I think he's listening to like Pink Floyd, but like not even a popular Pink Floyd song.
0: Deep cuts.
1: And yeah, like deep cut Pink Floyd, and he's looking at like an art picture, talking about oh. how how some college hipster's painting really encapsulates the meaning of life. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Maybe he's just doing that, like Laser Floyd at the planetarium thing, you know, where you, you go to your local, like, you know, air and space museum, and they have that night where you just go to the planetarium and they like put weird laser yeah. lights on the ceiling, and all the all the that's stoners just, come out.
1: Yeah, that's just yeah. That
0: <laughs> Gunnar's just like, I, just give me at least three months' notice before you want me to fight in the UFC again, so I can get some cleanser teas in me and like you know get all this stuff out.
1: When I was like twenty years old, I hung out with this like wicked hipster girl who. uh she was good looking, but like it was not going anywhere. And like for our show, like for like we had to hang out with a Brown University, which already I don't stand out there. And it was this, <laughs> this, it was like this old Catholic church where everyone laid down on the floor, and looked up into the, like the ceiling, and someone played like this dark organ style thing. <laughs> and everyone had to like pretend like it was the most amazing thing ever. And I'm sitting there thinking like, dude, am I really that desperate to get laid? <laughs> and then i was thinking like there's no way this girl even shaved her legs
0: but you didn't stick around long enough to find out
1: yeah i had no shot like i i, yeah. I can only fake the like gargoyle music so
0: long like <laughs> gargoyle music it's
1: still getting recorded yeah it's still okay. on it's staying if this gets the mic frilly i apologize for mentioning this but
0: Bridley <laughs> really will love this. I'm sure one um, listener
1: is not going to like this. Everyone else will.
0: That listener can bite. Him. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> the UFC on ESPN 40 prelims power on with a lightweight matchup between Terrence McKinney and Eric Gonzalez. McKinney, the 27 year old uh, Spokane, Washington native, is 12 and 4 overall. He is 2 and 1 since joining the UFC as a standout from. LFA and a veteran of Dana White's contender series. He did appear on the third season. He actually lost to Sean Woodson there, but uh, won his way back and won his first two fights in the UFC in about two and a half minutes of combined cage time. That was a seven second knockout against Matt Frivola, followed by a two minute and change uh, rear naked choke submission of uh, Ferez Ziam. The fun came at least to a momentary end in his third UFC appearance. That was at UFC Fight Night Santos versus Ankalaev back in March, where he got the worst of a wild three minutes of action against Drew Dober, uh, ended up on the wrong end of a TKO there. He is going to look to get things back on track against Gonzalez. The 30-year-old Californian who goes by the Ghost Pepper is 14-6 and six overall. He came to the UFC out of... Uh, Combate Americas, and a couple of other uh, Latin American promotions, but his UFC debut was one of our first introductions to the underrated knockout power of end stage Jim Miller, where uh, he appeared at UFC Fight Night Lad versus Dumont last October, got knocked out just 14 seconds into the second round. As I alluded to off the top, Terrence McKinney, a prohibitive favorite, Best line I can find as of the beginning of fight week has him at minus 900, Gonzalez at plus 600, but the majority of the books right now have McKinney as a minus 1,000 favorite. Now, you'll see those from time to time in the UFC when the UFC doesn't have any options. You know, they're throwing together a last minute matchup due to an injury or illness withdrawal, and they got to take what they can take. And even then, it's usually not that bad. And yeah. then a title fight for someone like Valentina Shevchenko, where, hey, we got to make this fight. It's the most deserving person. Ooh. Everyone else in the division would, would be, you know, plus who, who, 2000.
1: Who's the guy that fought TJ Dillashaw for the title and got the fight that day? UFC Joe Soto. Joe Soto. Was Joe Soto even that big of a underdog?
0: making his UFC uh, debut going from the no. prelims to the title fight. No, he was not <laughs> Joe Soto. Here is your other piece of free trivia for the day to make the women want you and the men want to be you uh, or whatever permutation of that you prefer. Joe Soto, the first ever Bellator champ.
1: There you go. Use that information. Don't don't lay in the church of the gargoyle music.
0: Yeah. That's going to help. Yeah, well, well, use that if you're within, like, five miles of the Mohegan Sun or the Sanford Pentagon in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, outside of that, probably everyone's going oh, to be who?
1: No, 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 no. What about the...
0: Uh, the Windstar in, at Thackerville? Yeah, Thackerville. I've, I've actually so. been to that casino. Hey, next time you're there, give me a buzz. It's only about Wait, five hours up the road. Yeah, you know yeah. I was,
1: uh, I was visiting an uncle in Dallas, and uh, yeah, this is more interesting than 1,000. I couldn't believe it was, like, 11 o'clock at night. I could not find a restaurant. Everything was closed. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> like, you go... You know, other casinos at three of them all i me and I'm Krispy Kreme and shit. Like, I couldn't find anything. This is the biggest k- casino in America. Where the hell is the Midwest food?
0: Midwest casinos are weird, man. Yeah. Anyways. Ugh. Back to all Terrence right. Terrace McKinney versus Eric Gonzalez. Even though McKinney, the McKinney Express, kind of hit a speed bump against Drew Dober back in March, I'm still high on him as a prospect. Yeah, it's Drew Dober. It's yeah. it's Drew Dober. Even on his way up, he got to the contender series just a little too soon for a walking, talking matchup problem like Sean Woodson. But obvious upside. He comes from a wrestling background. And unlike people that we sometimes talk about, unlike Jason Witt, Corey McKenna that we've talked about, Terrence McKinney is fast. He has fast entries. He is an athlete. He finishes emphatically. In In fact, he was Olympic hopeful. Don't forget. Yeah. Hey, I'm an Olympic hopeful. (laughs) I'm an Olympic hopeful in several sports. I got my table tennis game going, uh, luge, you know, bobsled wrestling. Certainly. Uh, he on, on his way up in regional scenes, he was more of a submission artist and he got a lot of his submissions just by being that kind of wrestler who seemed to take very naturally to the grappling game. Someone like, you know, Askren or Chris Weidman that just oh it clicked for him as soon as they started doing that and then the fact that he has a penchant for finishing his takedowns in an emphatic fashion that leaves that would leave his opponent with the wind kind of knocked out of him and by the time he figured out what's going on uh McKinney's taken the back the fact that he's kind of found flash knockout power in his hands and feet in his last few fights that's just an added bonus yeah so I'm still enormously high on McKinney. He Hold is still. Is, man,
1: man, you're telling me you're enormously high on the guy who's the negative 1000 favorite?
0: You That's know. A bold statement there, man. They're
1: real bold on this page.
0: I, I'm <laughs> <laughs> and at age 27, he is still just entering the very yeah. outer edge of his prime in the 155 pound division. He's He should be this good or better for the next five years. Uh, and Gonzalez, Gonzalez earned a second fight in the UFC, you know, stepped in, took on Jim Miller, got thumped. It's been almost a year. This is a bad matchup for him. Gonzalez is a guy that I was mildly interested in, in Combate, his his fights were, you know, often a lot of blood and guts fun, but the few times he ran into even borderline next level fighters, On the regional scene, he lost. He lost to Rafa Garcia. He lost to Umberto Bandani, who washed out yeah. of the UFC on like four straight losses. He is just, he's just—he's not a UFC level fighter. He's—and this isn't to like be insulting to any other promotions, but he's not—he's not a Bellator level fighter. Uh, you know, he's not—he wouldn't not make a much. Prelim hit. Fighter. He's a Bellator prelim because the fights are in his hometown, yeah. and they want you to sell 50 tickets. Fighter. That's right. And he's going against someone in McKinney that is literally going to be better everywhere and is aggressive and is going to push the issue. I can't see McKinney just coasting to a 30-27 win here. McKinney's going to force the issue. He's going to try to knock him out. He's going to throw head kicks. He's going to throw haymakers. Uh, If he doesn't get something quickly, he's going to do one of those lightning-fast level changes and put Gonzalez on his ass and just probably immediately move to, like, a side control or start taking the back, start walloping him from there and either get a submission or or a knockout. Give me McKinney by first round uh, TKO. I'm going to say it, it happens on the ground. But, yeah, not a super bold pick, but McKinney is a 10-to-1 favorite for a reason.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm with you, man. McK- McKinney's really I – mean, he's a really exciting fighter. I mean, he's got a 100% finish rate. He's well-rounded. He's a southpaw – Uh, You mentioned really, really quick hands, very fast, very explosive. I mean, the guy throws bombs. Uh, You mentioned uh, right before he made it to the UFC, he was knocking guys out in the regional scene second. I was just looking at his last seven fights, and Drew Dober, the three minutes and 17 seconds, is his longest fight in his last seven fights. Before that was two minutes and 11 seconds, seven seconds, one minute and 12 seconds, 17 seconds, 16 seconds, 57 seconds, yeah, so that's that's his last, that's his run. And it, yep. uh, the, he had the he had the, he wasn't the second round against Sean Woodson, but then even before that, forty three seconds, two minutes fifty seven seconds, seven seconds, thirty nine seconds, forty three seconds, one thirty nine, one twenty three, two fifteen. That's his entire career. Yep, like he's been to the second round once.
0: Yeah, and went to the third round in, like, his his uh fourth fight, and that's it. Other than that, it's all first-round fights, a ton of them in under a minute. Oh,
1: yeah, I screwed that one up. I'm sorry. Yeah. I looked at it. I said 43 seconds. That was 43 seconds into the third round. So, yeah, I'm sorry. I, so, all right, one fight I screwed up on. Um, Yeah, the guy throws bombs. I mean, he he almost knocked out Drew Dober. I mean, like, that's an accomplishment in itself. Like, he hurt Drew Dober bad. Um, mm-hmm. He tries to go for that walk-off KO every time. Now, that said, he can make the mistake of throwing shots from his hips, kind of leading himself to open the counters. But when We saw that against Judover, He needs to calm himself down a little bit. He's a wild man, but he does a lot of good things, he, a lot of push kicks, lot of, uh, a lot of high kicks. You mentioned he's a junior college All-American, really, really good entries, turns the corner like on a dime. He uh, looks to advance on the ground when he's there, good ground and pound. He's got seven submission wins. The biggest thing is his gas tank. He's never been to a decision. And he was starting to gas out against Drew Dober. Now, Eric Gonzalez, he isn't good. So, like, I feel like this is a little a combination of, of you know, the people saying, like, hey, we still really like uh, McKinney, but also, like, Gonzalez. I mean, he just got starched by Jim Miller, who's more of an explosive striker, Jim Miller. Or Terrence McKinney. Now, his chin is obviously a question mark after that. He he, he can fight at both stances. Uh, he likes to press the action. He is a high-output striker. He throws a lot of winging, sloppy winging shots. But uh, And he's, he's he doesn't have a lot of power because he throws a lot of arm punches, uh, and he drops his hands. He likes to kick the body from the southpaw stance. That's probably his best strike. Uh, but he doesn't check leg kicks. He's a terrible defensive wrestler. He is in a submission threat uh this this comes down to me is if mckinney goes crazy and if he can't get the ko he gasses himself out i don't think that happens though Gonzalez isn't that good i think mckinney comes out like a berserker and starches him and i'm gonna go with you i'm going mckinney i say he gets a first round knockout i'm gonna say he does with a high kick now if if Gonzalez can make it to like four minutes he could win this fight the problem is once the, the fight you know the referee says let's go and once it hits the four-minute mark, at that point, Gonzalez is already getting brought out, you know, getting the smell salts out on his way walking back to the to the locker oh. room because I think he's getting knocked out. I think he's getting starched quick.
0: All right. No surprises in the biggest uh, biggest squash match of the evening. Next up at UFC Vegas 59 is a light heavyweight matchup between Sam Alvey and Michal Olekshechuk. Alvy, the 36-year-old Wisconsin native, is 33-17-1 one, with one no contest overall. If you are listening to this on Spotify or the streaming platform of your choice, you are missing out on an amazing face that Keith is making right now. Uh, uh, that was my Sam Alvy face when he's fighting. Imagine looking at that when you're trying to knock out Sam Alvy. I'm going to get my
1: ass kicked by Sam Alvy one day.
0: Come on. Sign Keith to a one-fight UFC deal. Let him be Sam Alvey's retirement fight. Alvey, 10, 12, and 1 in the UFC since joining out of the 16th season of The Ultimate Fighter. He is, of course, quite famously on an eight-fight winless streak. Off the top of my head, I believe, that either owns the record or is tied with BJ Penn for the record for the longest winless streak in the UFC. Uh, He had a draw with Da Un Jung at UFC 254 back in October of 2020. That was the last time he had his hand raised in the octagon, even in conjunction with the other guy. Since then, it has been three straight losses against Julian Marquez, Wellington Terman, and most recently, Brendan Allen, who stepped in for Phil Hawes on short notice back in February and got a second round submission over Alvi. Alvi is going. I can't even use any of my usual cliches, like get things back on track. Alvi is going to try to get a win against Oleg the 27-year-old Pole is 16-5 and five with one no contest overall. He's 4-3 and three with one no contest since joining the UFC. He did lose his last time out. That was a unanimous decision loss to Dustin Jacoby at UFC 272 in March. That put a stop to a two-fight win streak for him over Modestus Bukowskis and Shamil Gamzatov. Despite the loss in his last outing, Olekshaychuk, unsurprisingly, one of the biggest favorites on the card. The biggest favorite not named McKinney, I believe. He is minus 550. Alvy plus 400 right now. Keith, this is a matchup of a fighter that I appear to have written off too quickly against a fighter that the UFC seems completely unwilling or unable to write off. The first of those, of course, is Olekshaychuk. Oleg checked all of my boxes for a European bust coming to the UFC. He came to the UFC in, I think, yeah, 2017 off. Uh, he was on a seven or eight fight win streak, but it was in Poland and it was not KSW. It was kind of second tier uh, Polish promotions like uh, like Total Fight Night or Total Fight League. It was it was, you know, decent promotions, but basically European regional promotions came to the UFC Uh, one uh, decision over Khalil Roundtree in his debut, promptly tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs. Yeah, he he checked all the boxes for European bust. There's a reason that I say anytime a fighter comes in on a long win streak out of uh, Russia, uh, South America, uh, a, a less well-regulated part of Europe. I always want to see him fight and go through the USADA cycle at least a couple of times. Um, I wrote him off prematurely. Since then, he's turned into, well, he's not a top 10 light heavyweight because every time he's run into one, Ovin St. Preux, Jim Crute, Dustin Jacoby, he's lost pretty decisively but he's at the very least he belongs in the UFC and he's still only 27 years old. That is such a baby by the standards of this division. He literally has another decade before he's even really going out of his prime. And he is not a guy whose game really runs on fast twitch athleticism. I know that one of your themes for this card is minus athlete in a division that is full of plus athletes. He really ain't one of them Uh, more. I mean, his l- loss to Dust- Dustin Jacoby was just against a guy that wants to do the same things as him and is just bigger, better, and more credentialed at doing it. Like, he- he's always going to lose to Dustin Jacoby. He's going to he's gonna get things back on track in a big way against Alvy. And one thing that Oleksiychuk has kind of developed as he's grown in confidence and grown in age over the course of his now eight-fight UFC career, he's starting to find his power again. You know, he hurt a lot of people uh, in his fights in in Europe, and then that seemed to kind of go away uh, over his first, you know, four UFC fights or so. He seemed to find that again, and he's going against someone in Alvey that Alvey's chin seems to be gone, whether at 185 or 205. He was always slow and kind of hittable on the feet, even at 26. At 36, he is glacier slow, you, I mean, you love to bring up that Alvi's power has always been a little overstated. I think it's actually better at 205 than 185, but even in his prime, it was never icy with one-shot power. It was like kind of surprising sting you power, and when he lands a combination, oh, all of a sudden, hey, the, the guy's the guy's wobbly. I don't think he's going to get that chance against Oleg Shaychuk. This, this fight, unless Oleg Shaychuk just gets charmed, snake charmed by the creepy smile and settles for winning a uh, 30-27 decision. I think this is a, just a setup for Oleg Shaychuk to get a highlight real knockout within the first eight minutes of the fight or so. I'm going to say Alvi makes it out of the first round, but is already not liking things by then. Uh, maybe one of those needs help to the stool type first rounds. But give me Oleg Shaychuk by second round TKO.
1: I was just, when you were talking, I was just thinking about this, and I was looking up a guy's record while you were talking. I just imagine the the matchmakers having a hard time finding someone willing to fight Sam Alvey, because there's no benefit. And do you want to be the person that might end the end the losing streak? Like, if if I was a UFC light heavyweight, and they called about Sam Alvey. Like, all right, what's my other options? Like, like give me sure. any, give me anything else but Sam Alvey. Like, what's easy win? Like, I don't care. I don't. I don't want to fight Sam Alvey. Are they gonna like? Well, well, I, I don't know I mean, how this is.
0: good. So Just think about being the one dude that BJ Penn or the one guy that Hayden morale beat in like that last yeah, six yeah, or seven exactly. fight. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a guy, a regional fight. I know you know him, uh, Jay Ellis. He's he's got oh, a, yeah. a record of 16 wins and 105 losses. I've seen him fight like 900, and that's that's the one that's been documented. Like you know, he's got more losses. You know what? You know who will always be linked to him? Former UFC. Fighter Nate Moore, uh, former or <laughs> uh, current UFC middleweight Gerald Mershad, uh, former Bellator champion Daniel Strauss. You know how they linked? They're not on the one hundred and five side. All three of those guys are in the sixteen side. He's he's beaten all three of those guys.
0: And think of the difference in weight class between Mershart and Strauss.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <sighs> um, anyways, my, my, that's my point when it comes to Sam Lavi. We were talking about. We're talking about like minus athletes. Is there more more of a minus athlete than Sam Alvey? Like we we always say like, can this guy slam dunk? Like can this guy no. jump ten feet? Can 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 Sam Alvey jump? Like, is that is that possible for him?
0: I don't think any evidence exists whether he can or not. I'm yeah.
1: <laughs> I just like I just want to like be walking like near our stairs with Sam Alvey. think those people who like skip stairs. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think Sam Alvey can do that. Like you know those are, like they take like every second step and you're like, who's this asshole that's doing this? And then you're like, like you're walking with this person. So you, you have to start doing it to keep up Then you. Somehow you feel lazy. If you actually don't every step. Yep. Like this guy's getting a workout in, like, I don't know if Sam Alvey could do that. <laughs> uh, anyways, <laughs> I'm don't know. going to get my ass kicked for Sam Alvey. So I, I, I pride myself in doing film study. We both do a lot of film study. I said this before a while ago. I'm, I'm not doing any more film study on Sam Alvey. I just, I'm done with him. Uh, like, the guy's 36 years old. He hasn't won a fight in four years. Uh, as you mentioned, eight um, times he's come into the cage, eight times he has not won. Uh, and he's like,
0: quick Quick bit of trivia. He's 10, 12, and one in the UFC. Of the 10 people he's beat, zero of them are still on roster. He there has not go. beaten a single person who's still in the UFC.
1: <laughs> there you go. I mean, he's a terrible athlete who has low output. His, As you mentioned, his striking power is grossly overrated. He hardly ever wrestles, but he'll find himself in a clinch, like pressed against the cage, doing nothing. His chin is fading. He's been stopped in four of those recent losses. Sam Alvey's the nicest dude on the planet. He really is. Like, I've met him a bunch of times. He's like the Ned Flanders of MMA. Like, I want him to be my neighbor. But the dude's shot. And he isn't a UFC level fighter anymore. And even when Sam Alvey was, he was a mid card fighter at best. Like it's, I feel it's like cruel to fight, have this guy fight anymore. Now, move on to Oleksijak. He's looking better and better. Like he's a, he's a good fighter. He's a southpaw. He's a pressure striker. Tons of output. He tends to burst forward with combination. He wings an overhand left, where he kind of almost wings his punches to to close the distance to get into the pocket and when he starts ripping body shots, some of the meanest body shots there is great power. Uh, he does have some defensive holes. He kind of willing to like walk into shot to land a shot of his own. Uh, he will look for reaction in a double. Like he he's a better wrestler than I give him credit to it for. I used to say he really struggled with wrestling, but I think I was kind of overreacting to him giving up eight takedowns to Jim crew who's a really good wrestler himself. Yeah. Uh, but, and he was submitted a few times in the past. But this this is going back a while now. I think Olisajek is going to charge forward at Alvi as Alvi backs up to the cage. Alvi gets trapped against the cage. And he connects with a big shot. It might, even, it might even be a body shot. You can see Alvi hurl over. But probably probably gets connected with a big shot. Alvi goes down. He hits Alvi with like 85 unanswered shots. Where the referee jumps in. And Alvi pops, jumps up and complains about an early stoppage and Olesijek wins in the very first round in a a slaughter. And three months from now, we're breaking down a Sam Maui fight again.
0: Why you got to do that to me, man? (laughs) My morale can't take it. The six fight main card of UFC on ESPN 40 starts out with a women's flyweight matchup between Ariane Lipsky and Priscilla Cachoeira. And... These are two women that are both three and four in the UFC and have approached it and gotten there and gotten to this matchup on Saturday by about as opposite a set of paths as two women could possibly take as one of them came in as one of the more anticipated free agent signings by the UFC in the last five or six years. And the other came in as a sacrificial lamb and, basically laughing stock and here they kind of meet in the middle and the fight is surprisingly interesting even if it's one we never thought we would have gotten way back when Lipsky the 28 year old Brazilian is 14 and 7 overall she is three and four in the UFC since joining as the outgoing KSW flyweight champ she did win her last time out it was a well, pretty decisive unanimous decision win over Mandy Bohm at UFC fight night Smith versus span last September that put the brakes on a two fight losing streak for her. Uh, Both of those second round stoppage losses uh, against Antonina Shevchenko and Montana De La Rosa. She'll be meeting Cachoeira. The 33 year old Brazilian is 11 and 4 overall. She also, of course, is 3 and 4 in the UFC. She also won her last time out. That was a unanimous decision win over Ji Yon Kim back in February at UFC fight night Makachev versus Green. That helped put a first round submission loss to Jillian Robertson last December in the rear view for her. The odds on this one. Uh, they're not off the charts, but Lipsky is a moderate favorite. She's minus one sixty-five or so. Cachoeira plus plus one forty uh, on the comeback. I mean, Keith, Priscilla Cachoeira was the huh who <laughs> the and she seemed to be the worst undefeated fighter they could find to debut to be there for Valentina Shevchenko's flyweight debut. You know, the UFC created the flyweight division. They created it with that season of tough. Shevchenko dropped down to 135. She was the obvious queen in waiting. And they gave her uh, Cachoeira and she took a beatdown of the year contender. I think it was my beatdown of the year for 2018 uh, before getting choked out in the second round. Then she went on to lose her next two UFC fights to women who are not Valentina Shevchenko in the form of... Uh, Molly McCann and Luana Carolina. And if there had been a Shillin and Duffy show in May, 2019, I'm pretty comfortable. We both would have had cash on the cut list after that third straight loss. But since then she's bounced back. Same as I said about Alex Shaychuk. She's not a top 10 flyweight, but she's proven she belongs. And the women she's beaten Gina Mazzani, Shannon Dobson, g Young Kim, all kind of borderline talents. Uh, it, as far as belonging in the UFC flyweight division, you know, they all are either out or on their way out, but she's shown signs of life. Uh, she's as she's grown in confidence. She's rediscovered the power that she did have on the Brazilian scene, even if she's still just very wild and sloppy on the feet. She's still pretty physically strong. Uh, she's not a Lipsky level athlete, but I don't think she's a minus athlete by comparison. I think she's about average as an athlete by comparison to the women that she's fought. You know, she's fought what? Molly McCann, Gina Mazzani, Jillian Robertson. She slots right in along them, alongside them as an athlete. And she's meeting Lipsky. Lipsky seemed like a super bust coming out of KSW. I was so high on her as a fighter. She was what, 23, 24. She was. Not not only was she champ in KSW, but her nickname was the Violence Queen, and it fit because she was a she was so vicious. She was a finisher on the ground as well as on the feet, uh, explosive striker with an you know underratedly good ground game. A lot of the same things you could say about Shevchenko. She seemed to display, and she was beating good women over there. Her last couple wins in KSW, like Diana have made it to the UFC. Silvana, uh, Silvana. Gomez is in the UFC right now. I mean, we make fun of Mariana Moraes right now because she's basically blown up to 155 and fighting uh, Kayla Harrison over in PFL. But at 125, she was actually a pretty decent fighter. And when Lipsky got to the UFC, not only did she lose her first two fights, but she just didn't look like the same fighter. Like, a lot of the speed and explosions seemed to be gone. Uh, She looked flat. Like, I ex- I would have expected her to be able to run circles around Joanne Wood and Molly McCann, two of the more kind of flat-footed fighters in the UFC. And she really didn't. And her gas tank wasn't great. And her power didn't seem to be connecting. I, I'm i not saying that Ariane Lipsky was a walking ball of horse steroids over in Poland. I, I don't know. You know, there are there are all kinds of things you have to adjust to. You know, when you start competing competing a continent away under slightly different rule sets and everything. But whatever those problems were, she's fixed them sorta, kinda. Yeah. Honestly, she's yeah. in the exact same place. She's in the exact same place where is. She's not top ten, because we've seen what happens when she runs into even borderline decent uh flyweights, but she's no longer in immediate danger of her job. Like this is not a pink slip Derby and it easily could have been at some point, but yeah, we broke down uh, Mandy Bohm's last fight just a couple weeks ago. And I said, Mandy Bohm is the one who briefly got me to believe once again in the, the 2016 Ariane Lipsky. I'm picking Lipsky to win this one, but not in a way that really rekindles, rekindles the fire because uh, Cachoeira is, she's durable. Uh, I think she's stronger than Baum. I don't think, uh, going to be able to have the kind of advantages on the feet as well as on the ground that she uh, did it against Baum. Uh, give me Lipsky to win, uh, to win a decision over, uh, Cachoeira, but Cachoeira wins the third round and, you know, we, we end up not being particularly more high on either woman coming out of this one.
1: Yeah, this is um, this is intriguing. Um, if if Anastilipsky that Molly McCann lost is is looking a little better than it did at that time, I'll get, that, that, she's got that going for her. Um, yeah, this is uh, this is one. This is a, why is this on the main card fight? That that was a little surprising to me, but um, yeah, Litsky she's she's a pressure striker who who fights with high volume kick kickboxing style. She's she's got more like stinging power than she has fight-ending power. Um, she did she did drop bomb in her last fight multiple times, which is which is good. That was her best showing of recent history. Uh, kick games are, are kicks are such a part of her game, but she's a she's a very weak defensive wrestler. I mean, she got out wrestled by Antuna Shevchenko. That's the one I can't get past. She had, uh, but the, she does have three submission wins. She showed that she can get some takedowns herself. Catchaera. I know I'm not. I won't let this point go. I, I I left it in my notes on purpose. I just want to point out that Catcher probably shouldn't be in the UFC after illegally gouging Jillian Robinson on multiple occasions in their fight. Uh, she yeah. should have been punched for that. But uh, she's she's a pressure striker. She's a boxer that you who know, marches down her foes. She tends to uh, she tends to chase a little bit instead of cutting off the cage. Like she's not as intelligent enough. Like I should say, I, don't, I don't say intelligent. That's that's a word. But like uh, fight. Fight savvy to do that. Um, she's a bit of a brawler. She she wants to get in the pocket. She wants to throw down. Um, she almost like ducks her head and just throws wild. Um, she wings her shots. She does have good power. I mean, we saw it against Shana Dobson. Uh, when she got inside, she was landing some nice mean elbows on g Young Kim. But she drops her hands, leaving her open to counters. Um, she almost even. She almost like holds her hands down by her side at time. She keeps her chin high in the air. It's just ready to be countered. Uh, she tends to square up a little bit too much. Um, so generally have like a base that she can get, kind of get dropped because of that. She will look for a takedown, but she isn't a wrestler. She's a decent grappler, though she was submitted by Jillian Robinson. But she can take a beating. We saw that against Shevchenko. And the reason why she beat Kim is she had the cardio. She was still pressing hot in the third round. Uh, so I think that was a really good call since so she probably won the third round. Uh, I'm with you, man. I think this is a tough fight to call. Uh, Lipsky is more technical. If she can stick and move, uh, I think she can do great. But Cachoeira is going to stay in her face. She's going to press the action. She's going to throw some some bombs. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if she just overwhelms Lipski with, like, aggression. I really, this was, to me, was one of the, probably the hardest fight on the entire card to pick. I have no clue. I'm going to go with the technique and speed of Lipski. So uh, I'm with you. Give me Lipski. I'm going to say it's an extremely close fight. Give me Lipski and a split decision.
0: There you go. Two picks for Ariani Lipsky to uh, keep the good vibes going in the main card opener, but uh, maybe not as emphatic a performance as she might like.
1: I think we might've picked that one wrong.
0: Next up, a heavyweight matchup, the first of two heavyweight matchups on this card, by far the more relevant of the two. And that's saying something considering that one of the guys in the fight is probably going to get cut if he loses. It is Augusto Sakai versus Sergei Spivak. Sakai, the 31-year-old Brazilian, is 15-4-1 overall. He's 4-3 in the UFC. The bad news is that it is four wins followed by three losses. Uh, He came into the UFC, uh, ripped off four straight wins, including uh, impressive wins over Andrei Arlovsky, Marcin Tiber, Ivanov. That got him into a an actual top 10 type fight. And ever since then, it has been rough sledding at the next level for him as he has been knocked out in consecutive fights by Alistair Overeem, Jairzinho Rosenstrike, and Tai Tuivasa. The most recent of those, the Tuivasa loss, was uh, last December at UFC 269. He is going to get another chance to... Get things back on track here against Spivak. The 27-year-old Moldovan is 14-3 and overall. He is 6-3 and three in the UFC. He is coming off a win in his last fight. It was a first-round TKO of Greg Hardy in what turned out to be Hardy's swan song with the promotion. Uh, that got the taste of a bad loss to Tom Aspinall uh, out of his mouth. He is going to look to get things uh He is going to look to take the next step back into contention here. He is favored to do so. Spivak is minus 225, Sakai plus 175. Keith, this this matchup just straight up mystifies me. If you're going to keep Augusto Sakai in the UFC at all, then you see that he has some sort of potential that you want to nurture and you want to cultivate. You don't want to lose him. But he's proven that he's just not up to the challenge of a top 10 fighter right now. He's shown that definitively. He's gotten finished by all three of the ones he's faced in a row. So if you're going to keep him, don't you at this point give him like, uh, well, I mean, he's already beaten Chase Sherman, uh, like a Jared Vandera or a Parker Porter type, and just let him kind of get his feet back under him. Why throw him at his fourth straight? like top 10 quality fighter, especially a guy in, in Spivak. Spivak doesn't need a bounce back fight. Greg Hardy was his bounce back fight. You know, like all we know about Spivak is he's not quite Tom Aspinall level. You know, Marcin Tibera two and a half years ago was just a slightly bigger, better version of the same fighter and was just too much of for him at the time. I give Spivak a complete pass on his debut loss. You know, He debuted in the UFC. He got plunked by Walt Harris in like 50 seconds. Two problems. One, Walt Harris is it, just going to do that to some people. Like that was kind of the, the thing he was always good at and kind of the last skill that never really deserted him. Also, considering that Sergey Spivak in his last three fights before joining the UFC had beaten Tony Lopez and Travis Fulton, like going from that level of competition yeah. to Walt Harris, it's like I don't know what the fastest freeway is in greater Boston, but here you know, it might be I-15 or I-45. It's like merging into 80-mile-an-hour traffic on that freeway on a fucking bicycle. Like, of <laughs> course he was going to get knocked out by the first UFC-quality heavyweight he faced. He fought 40-year-old Tony Lopez the fight before that. That's probably happening in Pawtucket right now. Somebody's probably trying that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, since then, Spivak, Spivak has been a pleasant surprise. For as much as I've talked about Ariane Lipsky, uh, Stephanie Egger, people that I kind of, Mihal Olekszczyk, people that I wrote off prematurely, uh, I was I was wrong about Spivak. He came to the UFC just, yeah, he was undefeated. But like I said, if Tony Lopez, Travis Fulton, and Ivo Cook, who, by the way, uh, he's probably about he was probably about the sixth best light heavyweight in Croatia at the time, uh, Spivak beat him. If that was your ticket to the UFC, you're not ready for the UFC. And when Walt Harris potatoed him, I figured I was right. And since then, not only has he kind of leveled out as a borderline top 15 guy who kind of sneaks into the top 10, but he's, he's improved as well. More, most notably, he's the one guy that came from like Eastern Europe and got physically better like he looked just kind of doughy and didn't present as much of an athlete in his first couple fights since then he's had a physical transformation he weighs in a little bit heavier but he looks leaner he's gone from a smallish heavyweight to a good sized heavyweight uh he's not an off the charts athlete i mean he wasn't tom aspinall but uh i'd say he's slightly on the plus side of athletes by uf uh, by ufc heavyweight standards and he is the he's the well-rounded guy when you when you give him Greg Hardy, he took him down and took the path of least resistance. Uh, you know, you give him Alexi Olenik. he was surprisingly unafraid to go to the ground with Olenik, but he was not afraid to kind of flex his superiority on the feet and make Olenik work to get it there if he wanted to get it to the ground. Uh, I don't know if Spivak ever makes his way to a title shot. I'll never say never in that division, but... At the very least, he looks like a guy who's going to kind of stick around and be Sergei Spivak for a few more years, and he's 27 years old. I mean, he could still be Sergei Spivak in the UFC in, like, the year 2036, and it wouldn't even be that weird. In this fight, if he's smart, and I think he is smart these days, he tries to get Augusto Sakai to the ground. I think he succeeds. I don't think he gets a finish. Uh, like I think Sakai's streak of uh, stoppage losses at least is going to end here but uh, give me Spivak to to take a pretty one-sided decision by taking Sakai down and controlling him for at least two of the three rounds yeah this fight sucks (laughs) Uh, again and, all right, and that's it for this version of the show and the Duffy show. We'll see you on the recap, guys. I'm in I'm in you know what it all
1: started when I hit the Sam Alvey fight. It was that. was there. I'm out of here. Um yeah. Uh I'm I'm a little high on Sakai than you are. Like I'm kinda like, man, yeah, he he, he lost three fights, but like he lost the three studs. Like like they weren't I don't know if Spivak's in that same cat maybe maybe Rosen level, but like I I I'd take the server to be right now i still take alisher over you know, sergei spivak uh,
0: i take Tuavasa. i know tuivasa beat uh spivak beat tuivasa but but much that was much different tuivasa day. is as much as i said spivak has changed and improved tuivasa is day and night different that was, yeah
1: <laughs> that was when ben was asking if he trains
0: <laughs> Do, does he train yeah Not, yeah um
1: Sakai <laughs> so has some things going like he's a large heavyweight uh, definitely a minus athlete he's kind of lumbering but his hand speed is faster than you think. Uh, he kind of tends to fight and burst. He stands all the way outside and then he charges in with combination. Throws a lot of, throws a lot of high kicks for heavyweight. Uh, I'd say he has plus power, but he has some major defensive holes. Bit of a stationary target, very very hittable. He backs straight up on the center line. Uh, he he keeps his hands very wide on the outside, so like things up the middle land push kicks stuff like that. Uh, he, he uses his height in the clinch pretty well. He's a pretty good dirty boxer. I mean, he was beating up Alice Overeem's body in the clinch, uh, but he's a weak defensive resident. If you put him on his back, he struggles to get up. No submission wins. Uh, he did gas a little bit against Alice Overeem, and I'm worried about his chin. I mean, he has been back-to-back fights. He got knocked out. Now, yes, it was tied to Abasa and Jardino strike two of the bigger hitters in the division. That's not really speedvax game, but obviously it's still – you know, he he didn't have to hit them that hard if his if his chin is gone. Now, I am not nearly as high on Spivak as it seems like you are. Uh, I I think he's fine. I think he's I think he's, You said he's a plus. I think he's a minus athlete. Like I don't think he's a good athlete at all. Uh, he, he's a serviceable boxer, and I, I think he's shown improvement, especially in the standup from when he first debuted in the UFC. So I'll give you that. And I definitely agree with you about his body transformation. Like he had that like this that like baby fat. Like his baby fat's gone now. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, the Sergey Spivak had that thing where like only his parents thought he was cute, and everyone else is like, "You yeah, look at that fat ass baby," <laughs> you know. Like he thinned out a little. Like he's all right. He's looking pretty good. Um, he throws a jab. His jab smoked Carlos Felipe, which again is Carlos Felipe. But uh, he, he's very basics, which is which is good. He he follows up these punches with combinations down the middle. Uh, basic kicking game defensively he kind of covers and pillars the defense shots but you know i don't like that um not much movement he kind of stands also right in front but he's a good wrestler and uh he's good at closing distance grinding he'll throw a lateral drop which you know i hate especially at heavyweight if you miss that you have a large guy a guy like sakaya top you could know, hope he didn't do that but he can shoot for some entries uh i like that he will like He'll, like, throw something high and then, like, sidestep a snatch single, which is really the way to go again at, at uh, heavyweight MMA, unless you're, uh, you know, uh, Steve Mako or uh, uh Gable Stevenson or something like that who can really shoot through the hips. That's not Speedback's game. A little snatch single is really smart. Good control, busy ground and pound. He's got six submission wins. Uh You seem very confident, Speedback. I'm not. I, I think the lines are off. I think this is a really tough fight to call. I think this should be a pickup. I, I think Sakai might be still be the better athlete on the feet. I think I give Spivak the edge on the ground. To me, it's going to come down to who wins the clinch battles. Can Sakai beat him up in the clinch with strikes, or can Spivak grind on him, kind of have him second guessing, maybe foot sweep him, snatch single, something like that. Um, so it's really going to be about the fence and who's controlling the fence. Uh, I almost, I really want to take the upset at Sakai, probably because of the the line when you mentioned the line, like I don't think it should be. I think it should be. Speedback like negative 130 ish should be that his should be his range, not uh, you know, not negative 230 or whatever it was. But he is younger, he's at the age where he can make big jumps. But Sakai is not that old for a heavyweight either, so no. I think he's like 32 or something 31, 32. A 31, I mean, yeah, he's younger than than I thought. Uh, I think he will stuff a lot of Speedback's takedowns, but all Speedback has to do is get two takedowns because I think it's going to be a low output. A lot of grinding, a lot of in the clinch. So he needs to get two takedowns. Two takedowns, win him two rounds. So give me uh, give me Spivak by split decision.
0: And a very low output, not fun fight. Awesome. So eight fights in, we have yet to, to disagree on a single pick. Me almost
1: did. I almost went with Sakai on that one, but no. Just-
0: well, we are going to have at least a little bit of disagreement on this next fight, uh, about the overall tenor of the fight if not the outcome this is the tough 30 women's flyweight final it is brogan walker versus juliana miller walker the 33 year old guamanian is 7 and 2 overall This is, of course, her UFC debut uh, after winning her way uh, through the Tough 30 bracket. Her last appearance before that was uh, at Invicta, as her last several had been, where she got a first-round submission of Emily King. That was back last August. She'll be taking on Miller. The 26-year-old grappling whiz is just 2-1 and as a professional. Uh, She, of course... Uh, won her way through the tough 30 bracket as well. And they meet here in the final. And despite the disparity in experience, it is Miller, the slight favorite here. She is minus 135, Walker plus 115. I think you are probably a little higher on this fight and these two fighters in general than I'm going to be. These two, like I said off the top, I think these... Are two of the worst finals in tough history. Not saying they won't be good fights, yeah. And not saying there's there's no chance that that any of these four fighters will will do. You know, like make some noise in the UFC. <clears throat> but as as rough as UFC or as rough as Tough 29 was, that threesome that came out of that middleweight bracket where Brian Battle looks, Hey, he, he looks to have some actual upside. He is looking to go three and zero in the UFC here. Then Treshawn Gore, who's a guy who, uh, you know, has some gifts and has some skills, but just clearly is not, he needed more seasoning. He needed to be on Dana White's contender series a year from now, not in tough last year. And then Urbina, who's kind of like this veteran who, you know, probably would have made it to the contender series at some point. Uh, like that, that trio right there, That's like Chuck, Randy, and Tito compared to these four. Uh, I mean, Brogan Walker is what she is. She's 33 at this point. Uh, She's fought a lot of notable names. Her best win, I mean, her her best win is definitely beating Miranda Maverick three years ago. Granted, that was Miranda Maverick, age 21, super green. But Walker just, she straight up beat her. I thought she won all three rounds uh, and... Uh, maverick down several times was not outmatched on the feet but brogan walker lost really really badly to Pro gonzalez it, it, i don't think i had a rule I'm in place no. it's october 2019 it was two fights oh. ago wow
1: it seems like it was longer sorry
0: yeah, yeah i mean i just remember because it was like the the headliner i was on some sort of duty for, for that one but I don't I don't have a rule for this because I never thought I'd need it, but I have a tough time picking someone in a fight that lost really, really badly to Pro Gonzalez. Uh I I do like Miller's upside. She is uh she's a gifted uh grappler, she is physically big and strong, and she's a good athlete. She's I mean, there's a certain amount of Erin Blanchfield vibe from her. And I'm not saying she's the prodigy Erin Blanchfield is, but just in terms of she has a very short uh, mixed martial arts record, but she's clearly a a seasoned like prodigy of a grappler. And her striking is still a work in progress. That was obvious in the fights on tough. That was obvious in her, uh, in her two Invicta appearances especially the last one which was uh you know her first career loss it's still a work in progress her her striking seems to exist mostly to give her something to do while she looks for a way to get the fight to the ground but once she's there she's very much a 10th planet type you know kind of unconventional stuff always moving likes stuff in transition unusual guard against someone in Walker that is kind of well-rounded and solid everywhere, but not outstanding anywhere. And it doesn't always fight to her own best advantage. I think that's all Miller needs. I get why she's the slight favorite here. Uh, give me Miller to make a successful UFC debut and get what little sizzle there is to be had out of this 30th season of The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, I'm going to say that she doesn't get the finish, but kind of badly outgrapples uh Walker for three rounds.
1: Yeah, so I I'm clear. Like, I, like I'm not huge on them. Like, I, I'm not saying that uh, Brogan Walker is is going to be a contender. But like, if you took Courtney Casey out of a fight in, in place of a Brogan Walker, are you losing anything? Like, that's what I look at her. I think like, yeah. someone who's USC level, uh, both of these fighters. I think they're UFC level. or the heavyweights. Like, I don't know if I'm if I'm filling out my contender series roster. Like, I don't know if I'm looking at these heavyweights. So that's like like these girls. I, these women, I think, are at least that level. Like they're, they could, they'd be fine in a contender series. I wouldn't be like scratching my head, like why are they on the show. Um, and I think they both look good and good on on the show. I think they both had some entertaining fights. Um, they had, they actually fought, probably they fought, fought some of the better competition too. Um, one thing, uh, one thing I'll say about um, Miller's record, yeah, she's two and one, but in fantasy she did avenge her one loss. She avenged it on the show. Uh, by beating Guthrie, so uh, and and Brogarka, yeah, you're right. Brogarka, she's been around. She has some some pretty decent wins. She's fought some pretty good fighters. Uh, she's a southpaw. She has really good output. I mean, she just she pressures, but it's a controlled pressure. Uh, she seems to has good vision. She she seems to really see the punches that come at her, and that's because she's a very like stick and move, like hit, slide, sl- slide back, return, avoid the shot, slide back in. Uh, she throws a lot of feints to kind of draw those attacks out. She has a busy jab. Uh, it's funny because she's in the southpaw stance, and Aaron, Aaron Braun started pointing this out. It was actually something we just saw from Amanda Nunes, and, which was her coach on the show. A lot of lead rights. Like, she's leading with her right hand, throwing a lot of check hooks. Um, when she throws the straight left, it's decent. She did not throw it enough. But I think she's got some decent power. Um, but her arms kind of frail out a little bit. It's so kind of wide. Actually, similar to what we just talked about with Augusta Sakai, she also kind of reaches and extends. Uh, but and she she keeps her chin high in the air like it's a big target. She will shoot for a takedown, and um, she's got some really strong takedown defense and good hip control. She is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. Um, but what I like about her game is that she. She makes her opponents pay when they miss a shot. Like, if she sprawled out, I mean, she, she did it in both fights on the show Hannah Guy and uh, Laura Gallardo. She grabbed that front headlark and she a blasting knees while she's running a front headlock, blasting knees to the bodies, to the legs. I really like that, what Brogan Walker did on the show with that. Um, in fantasy, she kind of slowed down against Hannah Hannah Guy late in that fight, and Hannah Guy actually had her back, which is concerning, especially going against a, a fighter like Miller who wants to get in that position. I, I'm a little higher on Miller's striking than you are. It's definitely unorthodox, and it's it's she's an extremely aggressive fighter. She comes right out. She's looking to fight. She's willing to eat shots and land shots, uh, and, and some of the reason why she's willing to eat shots because she lacks head movements. But she pumps that jab out there. She's got a strong Muay Thai clinch. Uh, though she's not, she's not a physically strong personing herself. Like, but she was getting muscled around in in the quarterfinals matchup against uh, Claire Guthrie. Well, and but she has a good chin. She took some good shots from Claire Guthrie and kept going. As you mentioned, she's a BJJ practitioner. We saw it on the show. Uh, we've seen it so far in her career. Great back takes. She landed a, a beautiful submission over. Um, I'm drawing a blank. The girl that she beat in the semis. Uh, to get to the that would
0: be that would be personal acquaintance of mine caitlin neal okay caitlin neal like that was that was a (laughs)
1: beautiful beautiful submission um she she's what i like when she gets taken down she stays busy off her back like she's tossing up sub attacks uh if she's not getting sub attacks she's trying to sweep if she's not doing that she's laying elbows on the bottom um she's staying busy i like that she's got uh, and and she showed that she's hard to take down. She keeps kind of keeps scrambles going, and she had the cardio to go hard all fifty minutes. Like she, she was just aggressive at the end of the fight. As she was in the beginning, so I I like this matchup. I think it's I think it's a fun matchup. I think both fighters can be pretty good additions. Uh, Miller, as you said, she isn't the striker that Walker is, but she stays so busy with her output that she's going to score points with her striking. Um, and she's going to just make sure she's going to make sure she didn't get sprawled on. And if she does, she got to, like, pull guard. She does not want to be uh, sprawled out on where Walker can run that front headlock and do damage. However, I think Miller p- puts such a pace on Walker that she makes Walker make a stake. I think she's going to uh, finally get her back. And I think she's going to find a sub. I'm going to say Miller does it late. Uh, give me Miller by third round
0: submission. There you go. Shillin and Duffy are unanimous in picking Miller as the flyweight winner of the 30th season of the ultimate fighter. Third from the top at UFC Vegas 59 is the heavyweight final of tough 30. It is Muhammad Usman versus Zach Pauga. Usman, the 33 year old Nigerian is seven and two overall. This is of course his UFC debut. Uh, He won his way through the season bracket. We last saw him in an actual professional fight last May in his unsuccessful Professional Fighters League debut. Uh, he's going to look to mint himself a UFC heavyweight against Pauga. The 34-year-old uh, Colorado native is a perfect 5-0 and as a professional mixed martial artist. You last saw him in Cage Warriors and LFA as a vaguely promising light heavyweight Odds here, pretty heavily in favor of Pauga. He is minus 240, Usman plus 200 as a substantial uh, underdog. Keith, when I think back to last season of PFL, I I think on just about any level you can think, 2021 PFL season was a disaster. Like a lot of their more recognizable names lost right out of the gate. You know, your Lance Palmers and and stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Most notably they got a bunch of a high level, high ticket free agents and almost all of them uh, just promptly shit the bed. Like, Pettis lost his first two fights right out of the gate. Fabricio Overdoom lost his first fight in a weird robbery that made him just literally take his ball and go home. Yeah. Rory yeah, yeah. McDonald didn't do very well. In yeah. light of all that, Muhammad Usman might still be my biggest disappointment from last season really? of BFL. Okay. He just he looked so bad against uh, Brandon Sales. I mean, he's taking on a 40-year-old journeyman in Brandon Sales. Brand, like Brandon sales like a guy that's literally like that local bell, guy on the Bellator card for most of his career. And he came out, seemed a little undersized. That's fine, but couldn't get his wrestling going. His gas tank was terrible. Like, and once he got a little bit tired, sales just being much bigger and kind of tough and savvy and more experienced choked him out, choked him all the way to sleep. He, he looked miserable. Pauga, he at least does have some upside. You know, a big light heavyweight, a guy that, you know, clearly, well, I mean, clearly he could make uh, a a decent heavyweight because he weighing in around 240, 245 on tough, looking basically the same as he did at 205, just with Mm -hmm. like a little more like hydration in his cheeks. Based on that alone, based on him, like having some, some decent uh, skills. I favor him over Usman because Usman won his way to the final on the show, but he looked like basically the same fighter. He's almost, I mean, and it's impossible not to compare him to his oh, there's uh, no older comparison. brother. Yeah. There's no well, difference. it's, it's impossible not to bring it up because he's the younger brother of UFC welterweight champ, arguably the best fighter on the entire planet right now, Kamaru Usman, but it's like just all the worst parts because Usman started out as a wrestler who was not afraid to be grindy and have boring fights and just win in dominant fashion until he could no longer be denied. And then once he was the champ and once he got a training with Trevor Whitman, now he's become an elite striker who always has the wrestling as a safety valve to go back to. Usman feels to me like a guy with 2015 Camaro skill set that still wants to try to strike first. And like, only wants to turn to wrestling when things are going badly. And he's just, he's not as good a wrestler. He's not nearly as good a striker. Yeah. He doesn't have the gas tank. And the thing about Usman is his gas tank's always been pretty good for a guy that clearly has a massive weight cut. Usman's just not good. He's just, he's just not a UFC heavyweight. And at 33, he's not really a prospect anymore, even as a heavyweight. I, I think somebody's
1: to cut you saying Usman's not that good. And then use it every single time Kamaro <laughs> <tomorrow> fights. <laughs> Like, come on I guess the uh, just you said this was not that good
0: and, and i'm not gonna like be pretentious and say that hey zach Pauga was on my radar because when they brought him in for the season i was like why does his name ring a bell and i'm like oh he's the the guy that you know i saw in LFA last summer as a light heavyweight and yeah he looked he looks pretty good and i took it more of as an indication of just how bad this crop of heavyweights was for this show he looked pretty good on the show
1: the, the 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 season was so bad. Chandler Cole almost won a
0: fight. That's all you need to know. And, like, and you could argue that
1: it, going by the two rounds that zero argument, you could argue that he did win a fight. They didn't. Yeah. They didn't give him the second round, but you could have argued it.
0: Yeah, I mean, Chandler Cole's not good. None of those dudes were. not it, it was a bad crop of fighters. Uh, I would pick because I, you know. Pauga was not especially like aggressive on the show and going uh, for the finish, but I don't think he's going to need to be here. Usman has shown just that his gas tank will betray him and he will wilt. So I think Pauga is going to end up getting a third round TKO, probably ground and pound. And it's just going to be one of those things where Usman is just having a harder and harder time dragging himself up off of blown takedown attempts and just basically just kind of melts. Uh, you know in the middle of the cage. Give me Zach Palga to m- Mint himself a UFC heavyweights with a third round stoppage of, of Muhammad Usman
1: Yeah, I I expect people when they make the yeah, I, you, you see it. I see people post on Social media and shirt dog forums and stuff those they'll, they'll make their picks for all the fights I, I think people who didn't watch the season and really don't know the fighters will automatically just pick Usman because his last name is Usman and they know he's Kamaro's brother He's not good. like he's he's a counter striker that throws low output, single strikes. He wings overhand shots, a lot of looping shots. He kind of he he kind of ducks his head and kind of throws similar to what we were talking about. um catchaway like kind he kind of ducks and throws. Uh, he he will look to close the distance, but he's looking to get inside of the clinch. doesn't really set up his shots. Uh, he was hurt by Mitchell Sibay on on the show. Uh, eduardo Perez had success with the calf kicks he was kicking his legs out. Uh, Usman showed me nothing uh Puaga, Pu- Puaga, I'm, I'm sorry I'm gonna say butcher's last name uh he he's a minus athlete he's he, like but he's a pressure counter striker that has pretty good vision uh he appears to kind of see the attacks coming at him he uses Fades well to draw him out. He's a very hold-your-ground type striker where he he doesn't really move. He just kind of beats you to the point of, of contact. Good output. Um, throws some solid combinations, solid jab. He wings his overhand right, which is his best strike, but then he hurt Jordan Heiderman in, in the semis with a left hook, uh, kind of put him out with that. I like that he was targeted the body. He'll throw an occasional spinning attack. He's got pretty good power, even though he's moving up a division. I think heavyweight should be the division he stays in. Um, he's a weak de- defensive wrestle. Like that is the route for Usman in this fight, but he showed like one time he got taken down. Uh, he got right up, um, in the opening fight. Who, whoever I can't, I can't remember who he fought in the opening round. Um, I'll say this as far as prediction goes, Usman arguably lost both of his fights on the show. Like both of his fights that he won, you could have easily scored it for his opponent. Like they both were very close fights. Um, I I think he will throw a lot of winging shots, but I think he's going to mostly hitting air. I think uh, Puaga is going to work him with a jab, hit him with body shots. I think he eventually catches him with a good shot. I see he puts him out in the second round, second round TKO for uh, Zach Puaga.
0: There you go. Two picks for uh, Zach Puaga. It's Puaga. I think he's uh, Hawaiian or or some Polynesian uh, to uh, be your heavyweight ultimate fighter season 30. It's funny because, you know, people will overestimate him or or pick him just because the the Usman name is there and it's not a a good policy to follow. But you're always safe picking a guy named Nurmagomedov, even if you don't know anything about him. But what about when it's Usman Nurmagomedov? Well, hey, he's really good. So we know which name outweighs the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. That brings us to the co-main event of UFC on ESPN 40. A welterweight matchup between Vicente Luque and Jeff Neal. Luque, the 30-year-old Brazilian, is 21, 8, and 1 overall. He's 13 and 4 since joining the UFC out of the 21st season of The Ultimate Fighter. He is coming off a loss in his last outing, got uh, thoroughly re- outwrestled by Bilal Muhammad in the headliner of UFC on ESPN 34 back in April ended up dropping a unanimous decision. That stopped a four-fight win streak for him over Nico Price, Randy Brown, Tyron Woodley, and Michael Chiesa that saw him finally vault himself out of that reliable action fighter category and into actual top 10 contender status. There, of course, the joy came to at least a temporary end against Muhammad. He'll be facing someone who finds himself in... More or less the same uh, situation in the form of Neil. The 31-year-old Dallas native is 14-4 and overall. He is 6-2 and two since joining the UFC out of the first season of Dana White's Contender Series. He is coming off a win in his last fight. It was a split decision over Santiago Ponzinibbio at UFC 269 last December. That got Neil back on track after back-to-back losses to Stephen Thompson and Neil Magny. Prior to that, of course, he had won his first five fights in the UFC uh, on the way to uh, certifying himself maybe the most successful Contender Series graduate uh, thus far to to that point, but he is definitely still in rebuilding mode. Uh, He is not favored to continue the rebuilding process on Saturday as Luque is minus 175, Neil plus 150 as the moderate underdog. Keith, it's... Action fighter against action fighter. It is borderline, still at least, contender against borderline contender. It is one of the last great gasps of the ultimate fighter versus one of the first superstar prospects out of the contender series. I'm giving this as much buildup as I possibly can because it might be our last and only chance to disagree on a fight on this card. Who have you got?
1: Yeah, this is the best fight of the card, too. Um, two guys that, you know, really like... Um, I mean, you could argue this could be the main event
0: based on... on sure. Um,
1: I mean, I usually they go with the heavier guys, but, I
0: mean, they're two guys that are, you know... Well, if Santos were a former title challenger, maybe not.
1: Yeah. Yeah, true. But, I mean, yeah, I, I think I think right now, um, Hill is the biggest prospect of, you know, bigger prospect than Neil is right now. Yeah. Um, uh, Luque. I mean, I don't know anybody who doesn't like Vicente Luque. Uh, he's a pressure striker that wants to move forward. Now, he he doesn't like being backed up. Like that's how Leon Edwards had success when he backed him up. But other than a guy like that, he's constantly moving forward, taking the constantly taking the ground. He's plotting, which uh, keeps him from being an elite fighter. But he's a great boxer. He has a high guard defense. A lot of shoulder rolling, deflecting shots with his shoulder. Walking forward, e- eating a shot to land two of his own. One of the most durable fighters in history. I mean, he's got insane toughness. Uh, and you look at the t- damage he took against uh, Stephen Thompson, and continued to march forward against a much superior striker, much superior athlete. Still, kind of made it a grindy fight. Uh, sharp, j- sharp, sharp jab. Uh, tight, tight, really tight inside follow-up shots. Everything comes straight down the pike. He, 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 had, he attacks with combos. When he gets in the pocket, he just brings violence. Good hard leg kicks. He mix. He mixes. Well, he can. Sh- he can go for a takedown. And I'm like, I'm not sure about his grappling. Like I have. I think he's the underrated offensive grappling. But we saw him in his last fight, really weak defensive grappling. But honestly, I feel like this is more about Muhammad. Like I think Muhammad is extremely overrated wrestler. And it's. Uh, excuse me. I said the backwards. Extremely underrated wrestler. And that makes that made the Lucas wrestling look poor. And I don't think that's the case. I think Lucas defensive wrestling is actually pretty good. He obviously has a submission to that. He has six subs and he's hard to sub himself. Now, Neil, Neil, like he checks a lot of the boxes. He's a South pole with good movement, good footwork, very, very fast, very accurate. Throws beautiful, similar to Lucas straight shots down the pipe. Uh, he is a little bit of a headhunter with his boxing. He doesn't really go to the body. Um, but he's one of the biggest power punchers. He connects. He can knock you out. One thing that worries me, though, is in his last fight, he was very gun-shy against Santiago Ponsonavio. Punt- and because of his lack of output, that fight was much closer than I thought it needed to be. Well, I said he's a headhunter, he's a headhunter with his punches. The best part of his game is his body kicks. He throws hard kicks to the body. He has a crushing high kick. Um, then he actually likes to throw like off of a counter, <laughs> he, like sidestep a, a jab and then like, his, his response is a high kick back. He can wrestle. Uh, he showed that against Nico Price. Um, he actually got a takedown against Neil Magny. Uh, he's, he's got good takedown defense, I'd say. Like pretty strong. Um, and if he's on top, he's got hard grind of pound. I've had a hard time making a prediction on this fight because I have a hard time picking against Jeff Neal because his ceiling is so high. I mean, he has he has a much better chance of becoming becoming a UFC champion than than Luke does. But I'm really starting to think that he might be a front runner, and, and when times get hard, he might find a way out. And I mean, we saw that a little bit against in the Neil Magny fight. Um, he had no answer for Stephen Thompson. I think that was just a tough stylistic matchup. To but the, the Neil Magny one, I thought was actually a good stylistic matchup for him. And Neil man just put a pace on him. And uh, Neil had no answer, seemed very frustrated. So I think that's something that Lique can do, too. Um, Luke is going to come at him hard. We know that. Luke is going to stay in his face. And I think Luke is just going to stay in his face and outpoint him, especially if he's if Neil is gun shy like he was against Ponsonabio. If he does that, Luke is going to win his decision. And that's what I'm going with. I'm going to go with Vicente Luke by decision.
0: Excellent. I I love the, the breakdown there of their specific kind of skills. And in I obviously, Neil's last three fights, the Thompson fight, the Magni fight, the Ponzinibbio fight, have been kind of his return to Earth after yeah. looking for all the world, like... Like the next know, big thing. Like the next big thing. And not just the next big thing, but the next big thing, like, is he just going to keep having, like, exciting stand-up battles and knocking people out all the way up. Is he going to be like kind of the next Robbie Lawler that that does this? And then, yeah, he came back to to earth and we kind of saw three different things there against Thompson. He just got outclassed by one of the best strikers in the history of the sport there point blank. And it was a bad matchup for him because while uh, Neil certainly can kick, he is primarily a boxer and Thompson is an, you know, An adept kicker and long range puncher who's much taller and longer. It was just, yeah, it was a bad matchup for, for Neil. Against Magny. Yeah. It was kind of fun to see Neil hit a takedown on Magny, but the story of that fight to me was Magny taking Neil down early Magny kind of smothering Neil late, like, you know, getting the clinch a lot and just not letting Neil dictate the distance where he does his best work. And Hey, there are a lot of elite strikers that just don't react well to that. That's always been Edson Barbosa's Achilles heel. And he's got one of the greatest highlight reels in, you know, ever. we've ever seen. Yeah. Ponzinibbio is another one entirely because he was a little gun shy. I suspect that that is because of the personal stuff that happened like two weeks before that's yeah. like two weeks after, you know, he got pulled over at like three in the morning, uh, Unlicensed firearm in his car was was not actually drunk. Like didn't like fail a breathalyzer or anything, but had been drinking that night. Just regardless of he if he did anything illegal, a weird look do. for a guy, a weird looking yeah. look for a guy that had a fight in twelve days. You know, uh, and you know who knows? Maybe that made the rest of his weight cut tougher than it needed to be. Maybe he felt extra pressure not to just go out and get starched by Ponzinibbio and reinforce everything that people were saying about him. I, I don't know. I'm inclined to give him a, a, a pass on that one. With all that in mind, a, unless it just turns out that that you were right and he he is a front runner, this is never gonna respond well to like serious adversity. He's never gonna have like uh, another, like he, he's never gonna have another idea if like kind of his main game plan doesn't work or you know have a tough time digging deep. If that, if those are true, then Vicente Luque is a really, really tough guy to try to write to the ship against. I'm cautiously picking against that for the moment because on straight skill to skill, I don't think Luque is a niftier striker. I, I think Luque is definitely going to come forward, but I don't think he's going to be able to consistently force it out of Neal's preferred striking range. Like, and, unless you do, like, Magni and just like barrel all the way in like trying to grab singles trying to force the clinch if you're just coming forward and trying to box with him he has good footwork and he's good at giving ground you know and and circling away and, and keeping it at his preferred range uh, I like Neil to win this one so we do have our final bit of dissension here giving Neal and slight upset to win a decision but a, dis- a decision where there's no question about it like but Luque you know he's he's the guy with like one eye mostly swollen shut at the end Nobody really got close to getting finished, but Luque is the one that really got hurt once or twice. We come to the main event of UFC on ESPN 40, a light heavyweight matchup between Tiago Majeta Santos and Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill. Santos, the 38 year old Brazilian, the longtime uh, Florida resident, is 22 and 10 overall. He is 14 and 9 in the UFC. He is 4-4 and in the UFC since moving up to light heavyweight, a run that saw him make it all the way to a title shot uh, against John Jones almost exactly three years ago that was close enough that uh, more than a few people actually scored that for Santos. Nonetheless, since then, uh, it has been rougher sledding for the one-time title challenger as that split decision loss to Jones was the first fight in a uh, 1-4 and run that brings him here. The lone win in there, a unanimous decision over Johnny Walker last October. But since then, he dropped a unanimous decision to Magomed in the main event of UFC Fight Night 203 this March. He is going to do his best not to serve as a stepping stone for the, the up-and-comer in Hill. The 31-year-old Michigan native is 10-1 with one no contest overall. He's 4-1 one with one no contest since joining the UFC out of Season 3 of Dana White's Contender Series. He is on a two-fight win streak. Both of those are first-round knockouts over Jimmy Crute last December and Johnny Walker in the main event of UFC Fight Night 201 back this February. Hill, pretty strong favorite here, minus 275. Santos available at plus 225 on the comeback. Keith, Jamal Hill is, he's not Magomed Ankalaev by any stretch of the imagination. But it is worth noting that he's four and one with one no contest in the UFC. The no contest was him absolutely kicking the crap out of Clinton Abreu and then testing positive for weed. You know, again, so he wasn't roided up. He was just weeded up. And, it, and then his one loss was that weird, Freakish like arm dislocation arm break. Yeah. break the arm break against ironically enough Paul Craig again two minute fight who knows how that would have gone but he is a bong load and a freakish injury away from being six and0 in the UFC right now yeah man if he was <clears throat> I mean this already is kind of a sneaky outside. Title eliminator. It it isn't just because there is some traffic ahead of them now. Yeah,
1: uh, there's a but, actually a lot. Yeah,
0: yeah. But almost like Ankalaev, the no contest, the loss, they've served to force the UFC to bring him along in a more sensible fashion. He didn't get rushed anywhere. Uh, kind of like you can say about people like Sergey Pavlovich, who fought just this past weekend. Like losing to over Overeem in his debut was the best thing that could have happened to him. Uh, here. Man, I like Tiago Santos. I I like him uh, as a fighter. He's been so much fun to watch for so long. He moved, I, I like all my heart to a guy like him that moved up in weight, in the middle of a win streak, and said, you know what, <laughs> I have a choice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We had some 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 rumble weight, you know, action going on there. <laughs> yeah. But nonetheless, I mean, he was he was winning fights when his hand was more or less forced up to 205. Turned out to be a solid move. I mean, that win streak that kind of brought him to the title shot against Jones, against Kevin Holland, Eric Anders, Jimmy Manoa, and Jan Blachowicz. That stage pretty well. We didn't know what we had in Holland and Blachowicz at the time, but The John Jones fight, not only did he lose, but he hurt his knee, bad, you know, I think it was ACL and MCL, and he was on the shelf for a year and a half, and he's simply not been the same fighter since. He's just not been the, the same fighter. The same basic skills are there, everything just goes much slower, and he is much more conservative. On the way up at 185 or 205, he was a savage. One of the hardest kickers in the game. Well, I mean, everything came with knockout power, but his kicks in particular were just devastating. And since then, just his one win in these past five fights, and in fairness to him, it's been all top five guys except for Johnny Walker, like Jones, title fight, Glover Teixeira, your next champ, Alexander Rakic, probably your next title challenger, Magomed Ankalaev probably your next title challenger after that or, or vice versa. It's been nothing but the best of the best, but even the Johnny Walker fight, the, the Tiago Santos of 2019 would have knocked Johnny Walker's block off. Yeah. He would have made him look silly, but instead he just kind of beat him at a conservative kickboxing match. Yeah. Uh, he, I mean, on some level he could do that to Hill, but I am not favoring him to do so. Uh, Hill seems to be kind of maturing and refining uh, his approach as he goes here. He's 31, but he feels much younger, partly because yeah. he's got, so he's got sort of, sort of like a goofy kid-like personality. I mean, he has six kids. Maybe that's what keeps you young. <laughs> I, I don't know. He's hip bilingo. lingo But, <laughs> uh, but uh, like his, his, Basic skill set. Like if you asked me to write the, you know, the, the checklist, you know, like the the, the three points that they used to put in front of UFC fighters in, in 2004, they'd be the same as they were uh, when, like when he was on the contender series, but he's just better at all of them. He puts them together better. And he is both more patient and more opportunistic. Like the crude and knock and Walker knockouts both came without him really getting drawn into a sloppy brawl and crew and Walker are both guys that could have would have done that to him and instead he just kind of waited and and pot shotted at them and with johnny walker he one shot at them uh santos is going to come out and he's going to try to make this conservative he's going to try to draw out hill and and hope that he can get hill to make mistakes and i just don't think it's going to happen uh, I think Hill is going to outland Santos from the early going because another thing that's gone down the tubes is Santos's volume. He was never a super high volume guy because you know early on at 185 he was really guarding his gas tank, and then 205 he blew his knee like you know in his third fight at 205. Uh, I think Hill's going to outland him. Uh unless he walks right into just a brutal body or head kick, I think his stuff's going to have at least as much power on it. And I think he's just going to start rolling downhill on, on Santos uh, kind of from the early going. Santos is tough. He's been in there against the very best. The division has had to offer. This is a step down for him in competition, except for the Walker fight. Whereas this is a step up for, uh, for Hill Mm-hmm. but I think they meet in the middle and then some give me Hill by third round TKO. I don't think this makes it to the championship slash main event rounds. Uh, I, th- I think Hill gets the TKO just kind of outstriking Santos worse and worse as the fight goes along in a fight that probably never makes it to the ground.
1: Uh, how big of a favorite was Hill again?
0: Minus two seventy five.
1: Yeah, that's huge. And uh, honestly, I'm not surprised. I mean, uh it- Tiago Santos, in his prime, he was one of the scariest dudes in the UFC. But he had—I he had, mean, if you were like creating a ultimate fighter, like you'd use the body of Diago Santos. I mean, he's yeah, between the tattoos, everything like he's got it going. Uh, he's so explosive, hits so hard, power in both hands. I mean, his straight left, one of the deadliest punches in MMA history. Um, He could just wing power hooks that ends a fight in an instant. Crushing, crushing kicks. Talk about body kicks. uh, I mean, he was hurting John Jones with calf kicks, but he has not looked good since the John Jones fight. Uh, Obviously, you mentioned it. Both both knees got blown out. Um, uh, But since then, he's been gun shy. He backs like straight up to the cage, not doing much, not explosive anymore. Uh, Sure, he's older. Sure, he's had some injuries. Uh, Those. He just seems—I don't want to say a shot fighter because he's, he's fighting studs. Like he, had, even Johnny Walker, um, wasn't a like warm-up fight. Like, no,
0: he was a mean, top know, ten fighter so, at the time.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's my point. And, and it's Johnny Walker. Yeah, like he's beatable, and, and there's ways to beat him. But he's also extremely dangerous in what he does, and, and that's being fast, being explosive, throwing big bombs—kind of what Santos does in his prime. So you kind of like gave a very similar, uh, you know. Sanders is more controlled than Johnny Walker, but you get you get what I'm going at with this. Yeah. Uh, it, his his takedown defense was always bad. I mean, and then Glover to took him out and, and beat the brakes off of him. And they say he's a percentage of the black belt. We've talked about this in the past, like
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, different levels with different schools. His school isn't that high. Um, I mean, he really isn't a black belt. Uh, and he's really slowed down his pace. He never pushed a hard pace to begin with because he had to could serve his energy and he's gotten older it's gotten even worse it's been painful to watch uh hill he's a southpaw like you said you want to check the boxes southpaw is one check long and lengthy there's another check great striker accurate power powerful uh i mean he's also his straight left is deadly uh he, he he's intelligent where he goes to the body first works the body throws step in knees deep kicks body kicks uh you know all the offensive striking boxes are checked with him. The things that are a little concerning, I think. Uh, I think you mentioned right. Like he's older than you think, but he's young in fight years. Yeah, if that makes sense. Like he doesn't have the mileage that he that think he, he's like. Is that that car you find in like Auto Trader? That's like man, oh.
0: like he didn't debut until he was like almost twenty seven.
1: Yeah, like he's he's that like, two thousand thirteen Toyota Tacoma but it only has, like, 60,000 miles. You're like, 2013, like, is it? Yeah, it was also uh, Grandpa's truck that he barely came out. You know, he only drove to Home Depot twice a week, you know? Um, so he does come off as a prospect where he really should be in his prime. I mean, I, I shouldn't say he shouldn't be in the prime. I mean, the guy's a top-10 fighter fighting in the main event of a, of a fight night. So, I mean, yeah, he's in his prime, but you, you get what I'm saying. He still feels yeah. like that guy, new kid on the block, rising up.
0: There's um, there's something that that makes you think he's going to keep improving for another year or two.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good yeah, that's that's a good way to say it. Uh, and and that's it actually leads to my point. Like he has some defensive holes, but he he keeps his chin high. He keeps his head on the center line. Uh, he has that tall men's defense where he slides his head straight back to avoid things. And he's so long and lengthy that it's hard to connect. Uh, so those are some things he needs to improve. I like that when people try to crash the puck on him, he always initiates the clinch first. So he wants to be on the offensive. I really like that. Good knees inside. He uses his height well. He will sneak in a takedown, but, like, I would hardly call him a wrestler. I would say he's a weak defensive wrestler, but he's hard to hold down. He understands uh, that you lose if you're staying on the ground. So, he, uh, yeah, he'll toss up some subs off his back, but they're more just kind of create a scramble and get back to his feet. Uh, as as far as bridging goes, everyone is always going to respect – tiago santos power forever um i mean he when you see his highlight reel if you're if you're warming up the back you're jamal hill you're warming up and you know you keep peeking over the monitor watching all the fights and then you know when they preview your fights in this show and tiago santos just knocking guys dead that's going to be on your mind you're going to there's going to be times people are going to be scared to engage with them and i wouldn't be surprised if that happens in this fight like i wouldn't be surprised if this fight looks very similar to the santos walker fight where a lot of staring a lot of like strikes from range where they're not like putting themselves in the danger zone um i just it, this is such there's such a critical fight i think for really both of them for santos this is just to prove that he's still a top level fighter it's it's to prove that he uh you know he's dealt with some injuries he's dealt with some time maybe the longer like the more time he's off he'll get back to his old self it'll come around um and he could show these top one. And Hill, if he can beat Santos, he's right in the mix. Um, so I think it's really critical fight both guys. I just, I'm with you, man. I just see Hill. I actually think Hill's gonna play it safe. I think he's just gonna pick apart from range, long kicks, deep kicks, um, kind of stick and be a little fast and move in, and just work in a a, a very workman like decision. Give me Hill uh, by unanimous decision.
0: You have it. Two picks for Jamal Hill to. Oh, well, keep the train a rolling. And if he wins uncontroversially and convincingly, maybe even in a title eliminator type fight in his next fight from here. That has been the Dog Radio preview for UFC on ESPN 40, also known as UFC Vegas 59 Santos versus Hill. I have been Ben Duffy. He's been Keith Schillen. If this is your first time watching us, first of all, thank you. We hope you have enjoyed the content. We do these for every single UFC card and occasionally dip into other major goings on uh, those same weeks, but please hit the like, subscribe, make a comment. Keith and I are both manning the comment section. We're likely to get back at you. If you disagree with anything, if you have any takes of your own, we'd love to hear from you. But most importantly, uh, please do join us on the recap. One of the favorite parts of both of our jobs is after these cards, we are live on the SureDog YouTube page, typically about 15 minutes after the main event where we are breaking down all these fights in the reverse order that we just did them now. So we'll start with the headliner, go all the way to uh, the opener, talk about what was good, what was bad, what was surprising, what was controversial. There's always something. And the, Live chat is wide open during that show, so we are taking your questions, your comments, and your hot takes in real time. We have uh, quite a community there of diehards that are eager to share their knowledge, their sense of humor. It's also one-liners flying uh, left and right. We'd love to hear from you there. Between now and then, thank you once again for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week, and by all means, enjoy the fights.